Here's how you know that you have probably the best team in college basketball. Number one, you win big games on the road against top 10 teams, right? Check. Number two, you run the table in your pre-conference schedule against upper-level competition that is running towards the top of their respective conferences throughout college basketball. Check. Number three, you have the National Player of the Year who is embarking on becoming and about to set out to become the first repeat National Player of the Year since the guy that was the most valuable player of the only other NBA All-Star game to take place in Indianapolis, which was, by the way, 39 years ago in Ralph Sampson. You have a loaded roster of players who are totally bought in, and you, yes, last year, I realize, fell short in the NCAA tournament. That's the understatement of the year. But you were a number one seed in the tournament, and you appear poised to do that again but on top of all of that on this Tuesday of Query and Company yes it's only been a few hours ago so many of you might have already heard it but this morning I got up and yes on Tuesdays I do get up before 11 a.m. the only day of the week that I do but I do although tomorrow I have to give blood guys blood draw tomorrow so i will not sleep tonight I'm warning you now tomorrow's going to be a sleep deprivation Wednesday is it because of the needle Yes. You mean that I won't sleep? Do not do needles, but I have to tomorrow, and so I will have sleep anxiety all evening tonight for a blood draw tomorrow for uh, the annual Dr. Motman cardiological visit. Routine, by the way. But I got up this morning because I taped something in the morning, and I'm listening to the wake-up call with KB and Andy. and. I know that yesterday a big portion of our conversation was about Mike Woodson and the Indiana basketball team and the fut- and the futility and circling of the terrain of that program. And I understand the frustration for Purdue fans that they have arguably the best team in college basketball. Yes, they're not ranked number one, but their resume is. And they're probably at this point, unless there's a crash and burn, then they are headed towards being the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament and going through Indianapolis and Detroit en route to the Final Four. There's a lot of sunlight on the horizon for Purdue basketball. And I know that for Purdue fans, it has to get old. I totally understand it. I totally empathize with it. That it has to get old in an era of dominance of Purdue basketball that you have to hear people talking and bemoaning about Indiana. And the only saving grace in that is that if the topic of conversation in local media is about Indiana basketball, at least it's about the fact that Indiana basketball is way underperforming and there seems to be zero light at the end of their tunnel. Train wreck, to borrow a term that Purdue fans... It is. Purdue fans are familiar with that meme, I meant mainly the the train aspect of it, but yes, the the train falling off the tracks, yes, they are. And so, I'm driving this morning... And I'm listening to Rick Carlisle coming on with Kevin and Andy. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Pacers trade deadline upcoming. 
Pacers, Buddy Heald is suddenly like kind of not a cold streak, but but tapered off a little bit and maybe is in the topic of trade discussions. And how much does his play of late hamper his play his his trade stock or you know are they re- really looking to move him? You will see. Andrew Nimhard getting more minutes at the starting point. Tyrese Halliburton in terms of the health of his hamstring. All kinds of storylines for the Pacers who are taking on the Houston Rockets tonight at the Fieldhouse. And with all of that, here's the thing for you Purdue fans. The way that you know that you have the best team in college basketball, yes, ranked second now, but the best resume, the most intrigue, and the most interest about you is that when an NBA coach is doing a weekly morning radio hit that he does each and every Tuesday at 8 a.m. with Kevin Bowen and Andy Sweeney, Rick Carlisle, who, yes, indeed, Purdue fans watched knock Indiana out of the tournament in 1984 after they had beaten North Carolina, and then they went and knocked off Indiana in the regional finals, 50-48. to Rick Carlisle, who played at Virginia. Rick Carlisle, whose daughter is at the University of Virginia now. And Rick Carlisle, who is the head coach of the Indiana Pacers, has won an NBA title and is a coach who is coaching the franchise that's going to host the All-Star Game upcoming with the trade deadline on the horizon and a game tonight, went on the radio on this radio station. And what was he talking about? But boiler up, Rick Carlisle on the Purdue Boilermakers. When we were in Charlotte the other day, I I watched the entire uh, Purdue-Wisconsin game. thought it was really interesting uh, watching their team. I, I have really great respect for Matt Painter and the job he does there. And I just, I just thought in, in that environment, you know, for those guys to, to play that game the way they did, find a way to get a lead and just kind of salt the thing away, that's an impressive team. And uh, look forward to seeing more of them. I don't get a chance to watch a whole lot of college basketball, but that was, that was great. Okay, so the question becomes, you would think, Matt Painter right up the road, Rick Carlisle here, coaching a small fraternity. So Kevin Bowen asked the natural follow-up question when you get that kind of a glow and that kind of interest from Rick Carlisle, is Rick Carlisle, what is your relationship with, how well do you know, or how many times have you met Matt Painter? I do know him. I I, I don't know him as well as you know I'd like to. I mean, spent some time with him this summer, um, out in Vegas for USA basketball. You know, he's involved with heavily with the select team. Certainly is going to have a future, you know, on the staff of the Olympic team. I would, I would have to guess, you know, his record and his reputation is, uh, you know, precedes him and, and uh, Purdue's very, very, very lucky to have him. So, you know, it's going to be interesting watching them down the stretch of the season. Their guard play is excellent. Edie is, he's an amazing player. And uh, and they've gotten they've got some other pieces that they've that they put together that make them um, a really dynamic team. So going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think it's pretty cool to see Rick Carlisle talking about Purdue and kudos to Andy and Kevin for navigating that conversation. Um, but they're really good, Jimmy. They are obviously really, really good. And there are a lot of eyes on what they can do. Pressure's there for sure. Right. But pressure means that you are setting a standard and setting a precedent and setting an expectation that you're going to get some things done in March. And I do feel, I guess the question would be for this, for Purdue fans, the the minimum 
level of acceptance is what? With how good this team is, I think a Final Four. And I realize that might be unfair, but like, because here's the thing. Mathematically speaking, and I know Purdue fans probably don't want to hear this, but mathematically speaking, not just the fact they've improved from last year, they're not going to lose to a 16 again. Like, mathematically speaking, it's impossible, right? It's happened twice in, what, 700-some matchups? I know that doesn't mean anything. It's not a good moral victory. You still got to play the game, but that's not where they stumble. If they stumble this year, it's round of 32 or beyond. So, for a fair bar, I think they're a second weekend team. Indisputably, they're a second weekend team, unless it's just a crazy draw in a one-verse-eight or one-verse-seven. So, yeah, my bar's probably... Elite Eight or Final Four for this group. By the way, this from and, – and we need to reference this more, so I, I apologize that we haven't. In the break room right now, that is our fancy term for the YouTube chat. In the break room, uh, Ellie says, winning in the first round is, <laughs> is the barometer. <laughs> I, I get it, right? I totally get it. Also, Broken Colt says that he's got it worse than me because he's getting snipped tomorrow. I thought that the whole objective of that procedure was, if you're a sports fan, was to plan it around March Madness, right? Correct, yes. Or the Masters. Now, in the case of Derek Schultz, he planned that procedure, and we're talking about, for those that are <laughs> not this. familiar with the sector, uh, for March Madness, and it just so happened that he got it done in 2020. <laughs> so there were no games. Uh. Now, I have a friend, when it comes to getting the snip, Mm-hmm. Buddy of mine that I grew up with, I'm not going to say his name as to not embarrass him, but a lifelong friend of mine, grew up with him. He now lives in suburban Chicago, but works in downtown Chicago. And he went to a clinic in downtown Chicago that was like a big, you know, reputed, like that's where his, whatever, his doctor was. So his like really good buddy down the street was like, man, I, I also, they, they, they planned it together to do the snip and then watch, I think it was Masters. To watch the Masters together while they recovered from their vasectomy. So they went to the same doctor downtown. Well, like a week or so after, maybe it's two weeks after, I don't know what it is, but you have to take a sample in to make sure that everything that the procedure took, okay? So it's like 45 minutes from where my buddy lives to the doctor. So his wife was going to take in the sample and the neighbor down the street says oh since you're doing that can you here's the the brown paper bag can you take mine as well fine because it's safe you know it's it's an out of the way expenditure so she goes to the doctor's office to the clinic walks in and they say uh can we help you ma'am and he says she says uh yes i'm here to turn in some post vasectomy samples to make sure that everything took and they said okay great and she goes here's my husband's sample oh and by the way and here's my next door neighbor's I'm sure that looked good, right? They're like, wait, what? Okay, we won't say anything. Um, the Look, back to the to the situation with Carlisle and, and Purdue. I thought it was a fun conversation. I thought it was very um, complimentary of Matt Painter and Purdue. I was a little surprised because I, I don't think we got him in trouble by replaying that, but I thought that NBA coaches were not allowed to talk about college players specifically. I don't think he talked about Edie in terms of his NBA prospects or playing for the Pacers. Maybe that's where that line is. Carlisle would certainly know that. Yeah. Um, Do you have a bar for them, by the way? What's that? Do you have a bar for Purdue? Listen, 
college basketball today is so wonky and it's so unpredictable and there is so much parity that realistically getting to at minimum Purdue should be at this point its fan base and Purdue in general should be accustomed to or with the expectation of being a sweet 16 team year in and year out. And I would say that that would be sufficient, except for the fact that because they have had the terrible upsets that knocked them out, and the last time they went to the Sweet 16, they had the misfortune then in the Sweet 16 of getting eliminated by the biggest Cinderella story not named George Mason in the NCAA tournament history, arguably, in St. Mary's, right? Yeah. So, yes, I think probably the Final Four erases the criticism and a national title obviously completely puts it to bed. There's just a feeling of if not now, when for me with this group. I would that, Because that of how complete statement. they feel. But here's the thing, Jimmy. I think that's fair. But what Purdue has managed to do that is so impressive is that Purdue has managed each time that you think, okay, this group, this this is it. They do come around a few years later. Like the Baby Boilers group mm-hmm. was tremendous with you know Robbie Hummel and Etwan Moore and Jawan Johnson, and then you 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 transition that into the group that, and I mean it wasn't a direct secession, but but eventually then the next group that was really good, you know that. Isaac Haas, Ryan Klein, Carson Edwards. If Isaac Haas doesn't hurt the elbow the one year, who knows what happens. And then, literally a freak play. To answer your question, long-winded and circuitously, Jimmy, but for Purdue, part of the reason why I think when you say what is the what do they have to do, I would say Final Four, except for that just so many weird things happen in the tournament. I mean, Purdue had Virginia dead to rights. Mm -hmm. Dead to rights. And Virginia comes up with just almost a freak final 30 or three seconds, 2.8 seconds or whatever it was, to get in, to to stay alive Mm -hmm. and then wins. There's just so many weird things that can happen that are beyond your control. And you just never know. Ask Kansas. Kansas last year was loaded. Kansas last year had multiple first-round picks, and they're humming, and they're rolling along, and they go up against Arkansas, and Arkansas is super long and freaky and athletic and can take you out of your game, and and then boom, it just it, it's taken out of your hands, right? I feel like by separating a caveat, it's fair to judge to some extent on what you do in the tournament, and the caveat is this. If they don't make the Final Four, and they lose, let's say, in the Sweet 16, I don't think rational Purdue fans or national pundits are going to sit around and say this is like the staff's fault like this is Painter's fault because to your point it's a crapshoot half of March is luck half of it is the draw that you get so by that logic it's not fair to just base it solely on what you do in the NCAA tournament especially when you're basically winning the Big Ten every year so as long as you have that caveat and you say hey it's not the next day, it's not, oh, they need to make a change up at West Lafayette if they lose in the Sweet 16. I think you can have that conversation 
of, man, they should have made a Final Four this year without saying, oh, it's something wrong in West Lafayette. Like, those are two separate things in my mind. You have to take that approach because of how random the tournament is. Do you know, okay, Purdue basketball, what Purdue needs to do, Purdue basketball wants, I think Purdue needs to win a title for this aspect. And I'm talking about national perceptions. I don't mean those of us that see them pretty up close and personal or those that listen to Matt Painter with JMB, who's tremendous, you know, those things, right? Outside perspective or just fly-by observation. Purdue basketball would be, in the last 10 years, what either Oregon football, maybe not to that level, but the better one is probably Baylor football. You remember when Baylor went through that period where they were like 9-0, and 10-0 every single year, and people were getting excited about Baylor, like RG3's winning Heismans, yeah. and they had the one meme of the guy that looked like, you know, Conan the Barbarian with like the face mask that had like nine different things on it. And it was like, holy cow. And Baylor was like sexy. Baylor was winning games. They're, they were blowing everybody out. They're beating people 62 to, to, to nothing and 60 to three. And they're just steamrolling. And everybody's like, I'm not taking Baylor serious. Come on. Baylor? Like, Baylor's like a, a good school that I think it's in Waco, but it might be in Dallas. I'm not sure. Maybe it's in Oklahoma. I'm not positive. And they, they got really good like 10 years ago, and they've been really good. But when it comes down to it, at the like once you get to around Thanksgiving time, Baylor's going to be unbelievable, and then they're going to go up against Oklahoma or Texas, get beat, and we're never going to hear from them again. And I think there are probably fans of college basketball that think that. They're, they're, right now there's some guy sitting on his couch with Funyuns all over him in Flagstaff, Arizona, or some like two college kids in – like Tacoma, Washington, and they're like Purdue. I think yeah, Purdue's cool. Like they're 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 pretty good, and they've had some good players. And I mean, they just steamroll people in November and December. And I think it's in—is it in Indiana? It might be in Michigan, maybe Illinois. I'm not positive, but uh, you know they're good. But then the tournament rolls around, and they end up getting beat by somebody, and you never hear from them for another year. I think that perception is out there nationally about them. But I'm telling you, this one, Jimmy, feels different. It just does. To your point, it does feel different. And the reason it feels different is, as we talked about yesterday, Zach Eady in off days now, Purdue feels like they have the tools in their toolbox to figure out how to offset when the Pistons aren't totally firing. You know what I mean? And... This feels different. I would throw, maybe not to the same extent because the success rate was different, but Scott Drew dealt with the same stuff at Baylor. He goes, what, 18 years there before they finally break through and win a national title. And they had not had the same level of conference dominance that Purdue's had underneath Matt Painter by any stretch. And they won one or two regular season titles in that span. And they ended up being an NIT team once or twice as well. The same stuff was said about Jay Wright at Villanova to a lesser extent. Totally. Because again, they would always be a tournament team. They also did not have the... That's the separator between Matt Painter and a lot of these guys. The consistency in the Big Ten. Like, I know national titles are what national pundits care about the most. 
and what IU fans always throw back at Purdue is look at the banners and all that. But I mean, and, I, and when we discuss that, the diatribe, the uselessness of that in the modern era now, but none of those coaches had the regular season dominance that Matt Painter's had over this stretch. They would be tournament teams, but they would always have letdowns and slip-ups, and then they finally break through, and the conversation shattered, especially if you win it all. Like, if you win it all, and th- there's no debate about this, if there's a national championship banner in West Lafayette, the, the IU banner conversation stops. Because now it's, oh, great, you have five of those things? Well, when's the last one? We have won this century. Like, it, it flips everything. It doesn't just flip things nationally. It flips the local conversation because there's some things of substance that you're able to Correct. point to now fair. at West Lafayette. That's fair. It doesn't erase all of the history, but it, it, it changes who has the most recent say of dominance. You know, the... Um the question, I guess, becomes, and and I think we're probably going to talk to some people from Purdue this week before the end of the week, but just to ask the question of, like, how much does that pressure now weigh on them, so to speak? You know what I mean? And, you know, the, the expectation, Purdue and Indiana both are programs that right now, and they're going to face each other on Saturday, Purdue and Indiana are both programs that are a little bit haunted by their past. Purdue's haunted by their past because the players are constantly reminded of the shortcomings of it or the lack of the quote-unquote banners. Indiana's haunted by its past because there are too many people that are content with where they are now because there is a link to the past. And there are people that are making decisions about Indiana in terms of its program that are too married to the past and haven't like gotten to the current both programs are it's it's like in the best interest of both it would seem to be able to shed that for for both and just be free right i mean we talked about it yesterday with indiana indiana's got some problems man i'm telling you like i talked to people last night indiana's got some problems Indiana's program, and and I honestly think this, like, here's my question for Indiana fans, and they can feel free to call in if they want. And I don't mean this, I'm being serious when I say this, 239-1070 if you want to opine on the other side about this. If you're an Indiana fan, if it continues in this direction, why why do you keep paying attention? Why do you enable it? And I don't mean that in a nasty, derogatory way that it sounds. And I get it because you're loyal, you're you're a diehard, you went to school there, you take pride in it. I get all that. The apathy's right? already happened. Like I've talked to some friends that are what I consider the diest of hard IU fans, and this season in particular, it's apathetic. But it's because been it's like over. this for. But, well, no, but, I know. Jimmy, right, they, it's longer. Like, it's than, been one step yeah. forward, three steps back for it, twenty years. It's longer than just a season. I'm more just trying to say that there are callers out there. There should be anyway, because it's not a unique feeling. It's one that's been building for a while. I mean, you're going through like this is three different coaching regimes, and even if you throw Crean out as just being, you know, a guy that takes you so far, but then the next guy's the one that's supposed to take you over the top. Well, the next guys have been a failed coach miserably who's struggling at Rhode Island, and now Mike Woodson. Well, like we said, they, they've gone through 
they tried the coach that was that had Final Four experience that could recruit. They tried the mid-major like flavor of the year, and I think everybody thought Archie Miller was going to be a home run. Don't get me wrong. Um, although there is certainly precedent of people that had success at Dayton and yeah. then went el- went elsewhere, and that ceiling was at Dayton. And now, in in the form of Mike Woodson. And again, I don't know Mike Woodson. I have nothing against Mike Woodson personally. But I worry that Mike Woodson doesn't, A, have the long-term vision, B, have the the long-term energy, and C, have the touch of reality in college basketball today to be able to lead Indiana out of the darkness that they are currently in at 13-9 and nine and 5-6 and six in the conference. That's why I stress how much it matters to me what happens with Malik Renew and Mackenzie Mbako, because for him not to have that vision that would be losing them in the portal. Like, you, you you, need to be able to sell what you're building here in Bloomington. And, hey, I know this is a rough patch, but stick with me. If you can't retain that when you're supposed to have the bells and whistles of the NBA and be able to sort through and have a light at the end of the tunnel, if players start leaving, I'm, 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 I'm out. Like, I don't, I don't see the vision anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Even in today's sport... You shouldn't. I mean, sure. Butler is proof. Relevant players. Turn, relevant players. Butler is proof that you can turn around. You can turn around a roster. I get it. Yep. Butler's proof of it. But things. There are winds of change coming in college basketball, and I think Indiana is falling victim to it a little bit. And there's one coach, one prominent coach, that has a very interesting theory on what can be done with college basketball that I think you have to listen to, but it's off base a little bit. And even that, although, and even that, I think, probably hurts Indiana and Purdue. We'll discuss that. We'll take phone calls as well about it on the other side. Scott Agnes, 1 o'clock today, talking Pacers. Trade deadline upcoming here shortly. And we'll find out whether or not Indiana's done or they still have a move within them. Stephen Holder, 2 o'clock as well on a Tuesday edition. You're listening to Quarian Company here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Rest in peace if you have not heard and condolences to... Not like they're listening to the show, but uh, obviously to those who are fans of, friends of, family of, Toby Keith passing away at the age of, I believe, 62 or 63. He was diagnosed or announced uh, some, I think about 18 months ago, a diagnosis of stomach cancer and uh, passing away, his family announcing uh, earlier, I believe this morning, Toby Keith. Uh, Indiana and Purdue talking a lot about it. The Boilers getting some love from Rick Carlisle. Can you guys hear that when I? St- can you I hear could that? that time? Yes, yeah. We got a we got a dead but spot. On I don't the know if here. it's the mic or if it's just because we're in the same room as you. That's the problem. It's a good good question. Here, here's the thing. I'll ask the listeners. Tell me if you can hear this. There we go. I hear the if you release. can hear that thumping yep. noise yep. over the microphone. I, uh, my apologies. The, the, there's a dead spot on the floor, and when I stand up, it does that. I'll try not to move. Um, talking about Indiana and Purdue, Rick Carlisle with comments about the Boilers this morning with Kevin and Andy, 239-1070, the telephone number for fans to weigh in on this. I, I, again, I go back to, um, I'd like to know at this point, because I, I do have huge concerns about IU. I do. I don't about Purdue. I think Purdue is really good. I think Purdue has put a Band-Aid on the things that were affecting them a year ago. And I think Purdue, barring injury, I think Purdue's going to be okay here. Indiana, Indiana's problem for me is this. 
they have really good players. Khalil Ware's a really good player. Mackenzie Ambaco clearly has natural talent. Gabe Cups in time is going to be a really good player or a good player. I think Indiana misevaluated him a little bit and thought that he was going to be like ready to go right now. He is not. Um, Malik Renew is a really solid player for them. But the, the problem for Indiana is it just seems to be a constant turnover. And I know in today's game, you look at Butler, you can turn over your roster and be good. But you have to turn over your roster and get pieces that mesh together. And Indiana, quite frankly, in going out and getting transfers, it feels to me like Indiana's philosophy was, let's just look at recruiting rankings and from a national standpoint. And this guy's a, a top 10 player. Like, let's get him. And they didn't necessarily look to see how they meshed and in, in built together. And I do think that Mike Woodson... First off, I'm not totally convinced that Mike Woodson's hire and relationship within Indiana basketball currently is 100% brought along by the athletic director. And I do think that Quinn Buckner has a lot of say, as he should. He is the the head of the, the board of trustees of Indiana University and a former player. So I understand that. And and. I respect Quinn Buckner's contribution to Indiana basketball and obviously the university. That goes without saying. But I think that Buckner, it was really important for him for Woodson to be there, and that's part of how Woodson's there. And as a result of that, I don't know because I don't think Mike Woodson is going to want to walk away anytime soon. And I'm not saying that they're at the position right now of like fire the coach right now. But I don't see where things improve because I think where is gone. I think – possibly Mbako's gone. Yes, you have a big time another big time recruit coming in from Montvera, but if I'm not mistaken, it's the only commitment they have right now. And yeah, you go the transfer portal and whatever else. You know who doesn't use the transfer portal a lot? And yes, they used it to 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 plug a hole. But you know who doesn't rely on the transfer portal right now? Purdue. You know who doesn't rely on huge NIL funding? Purdue. You know why? Because Purdue recruits to Purdue's needs. And Purdue recruits to the the character and the kind of player that, that Purdue feels is best. And Matt Painter will say to you, look, I don't buy into like the, the rankings and everything else because I go and I watch a player myself to see what they can do for Purdue. And then I sell them on what they can do for Purdue. And as a result of that, you get Trey Kaufman-Rent and Caleb First and guys that probably at a lot of different schools would have left because they weren't – Caleb First and Mr. Basketball. Trey Kaufman-Rent is like a, an All-American type recruit. And they come to Purdue and they're within a rotation. And they're totally cool with that. You know why? Because they were recruited based on the character that Matt Painter wanted to see for them to be part of a program as opposed to they came there because, and I'm not saying they didn't get NIL money, but in the case of Khalil Ware and Mackenzie Mbaco, who are both wonderful talents, but they're at Indiana because Indiana gave them the most NIL offer. Let's be real. But one of them wasn't a transfer. Let's be real. Well, only only one of them was a transfer, though. But, but understood. And they did it to plug a hole. They did it to replace Trace Jackson Davis. What I think happened... But what I'm saying to you, Jimmy, is Mackenzie Mbaco and Khalil Ware, do you think those guys are like, look, I, I'm coming in to like... Me-, and I'm not 
picking on them as individuals. I'm saying, do you think they have the same kind of a selfless mentality that that got them there, or do you think they're there because they're like, look, I'm just here, man, to to get to the next spot. This is a la- this is a springboard for me. Whereas at Purdue, how in the world do you get Caleb first, who was a starter on a number one seeded team, to buy into being like your seventh or eighth guy? You do that because you saw it at an early age in the development of the character and getting to know the player, as opposed to we met three months before they arrived on campus. That's my point. What I think happened to Indiana, I think they were aggressive in the portal with trying to fix their biggest problem, which is guard play. I think they failed, and I think they gambled on what they had internally because they had no other choice. And this roster, why it looks so incomplete, and maybe Mbako can one day be this, maybe Gabe Cups can one day be this, they do not have a straw to stir the drink of their offense. Therefore, they that's look true. like a bunch of what is four and five-star players. That, that's a great question. Like it, 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 At its best, at this stage, it's feeding Khalil Ware and hoping he goes off. Or Malik Renew. Or Renew. But like they, they don't, their guard play is so lacking because of either a bad gamble or just a swing and a miss, which is more jarring in the transfer portal, that this is an incomplete team. A year from now, if this is the same look, if they don't either go get, which they're going to have to, Jake, they're going to be forced to this time because they don't have a guard in the recruiting class. They're going to have to go out and get a high-level guard in the transfer portal, I mean, they're gonna, which I know, but they're going to have to hope that Renew and Mbako stay, and they're going to have to hope that the five-star they have in Liam McNeely is a bang busters player right out of the gate. That's where they're at a year from now. Jeff has been waiting to talk about it. 239-1070 on the fan. Jeff, what's up? Yeah, hey, uh, love the conversation, guys. I'm a huge Purdue fan, and uh, you know, when you talk about expectations for Purdue, I mean, like anyone else, I'd love to see you know Final Four or National Championship, of course. But you know, conventional wisdom says you know you've got to have two or three NBA you know recruits on on your team, right? That kind of talent, and Purdue doesn't have that, right? So I mean, you know, he's Coach Painter's built the program on culture, just like what you guys are talking about. Because he's been where IU is now, <clears throat> you know, he went after the wrong guys, you know, the the four star guys before, and about cost him his job. And uh, you know, he's just done a phenomenal job of building the team, the you know, with the right culture. And I think there's some similarities there to you know to Moneyball, the the A's, where you know we we could just have this great culture where we do get a lot of wins, but uh, winning the big one, you know, may always be a challenge. So I, I'd love to see it. But and we don't have we don't have the three NBA two or three NBA type kids. We really but don't. You, but, so, but Jeff, uh, I really do believe this, and I appreciate the call. Like like Rick Pitino has now said that he thinks college basketball needs a salary cap. Well, the problem with that is, do we really? Who in the Rick Pitino of all people should know? You think Kentucky's going to follow the rules of a salary cap? No. You think Kansas is going to follow the rules of a salary cap? No. Indiana's got. Top ten NIL money. Indiana's putting on clinics and and fantasy camps and and massage chairs and whatever they can to get the NIL money, and it's getting them big players. But again, it's not about buying the most talent all the time. It's about sometimes seeing the best character. And I, and I know that the, I, I I realize how old I sound. I get it, but I'm telling you. But to your same point, the stars stop mattering once you walk in the door. 
It doesn't matter if you're a five star Unless you're or a Indiana three star. You got five of them on your hip pocket because you won a title in '87. I know, but 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 they don't matter once you get there. Whether you're in West Lafayette or Indiana, you could be a five star. You could be a two star. It's all hey, it's all listen, meaningless once listen. you cross the threshold of a program. This is why I don't I don't buy into the whole like. It's just like buying cars. You get lemons every once in a while, right? I'm telling you right now. I remember, and I'm not kidding you. I looked when this guy was a freshman. Again, nothing against any of these people as people. I don't know this kid. He might be the nicest kid in the world. I know his high school coach said he's a nice kid. But I remember when Christian Landers showed up in Indiana, and like there were people doing cartwheels and backflips down 17th Street in Bloomington because they're like five-star point guard, number one point guard in America, and listed as the seventh pick in the NBA Draft.net lottery as a freshman. That guy can't guard me. He's He can't get off the bench at Western Kentucky, and he's like 23 years old now. He's averaging four points and two assists a game for Western Kentucky, and people thought he was going to play in the league after a year at Indiana? Come on. Jeff, waiting patiently. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Yeah, I, I hope today's show is just all Jeff's calling in. I That's like right. It. That's uh, right. We're going to go to Lafayette next and just talk to the high school. Correct. Yeah. So I, I feel like I'm a good mediator for this because I went to Ball State, but I have family and coworkers <laughs> that have gone to IU and Purdue. All right. You are the and, judge, Jeff. How's that? Right. And so I, I think we there's a very short memory where coming off of last year with IU coming second in the Big Ten, they made it just as they made it farther than Purdue did in the NCAA tournament. I think that there yeah, was they didn't a, make it further than Purdue of, in the NCAA tournament technically. Well, they won. Uh, I mean, Purdue got knocked out. Yeah, they won in a the game. first round. Uh, Indiana won the play-in yeah. game. No, that was two years ago. Was it? Yeah. They Who won did the they beat last year? Okay, my yeah, apologies. That was two years ago. Sorry, my apologies. Right. I was thinking yeah, when they yeah, won the so play-in I mean, game over over Wyoming. Yeah. It's a meaningless flex, but it's a, so it's a fact. I, right. Correct. Yeah. I mean, but I think if you're looking at it from the fan bases, from the people that I have that I talked to, they were coming out of last year thinking, look, it doesn't matter how good of a players you have at Purdue if you can't make it out of the very first round and beat a 16 seed in the tournament, you know, how far is this going to actually take Painter if you're just, you know, coming in first, second, or third of the Big Ten every year and then you fl- you completely flame out? Where I think a- as an IU fan right now, maybe you're looking at this year and saying, hey, we lost two people to the NBA. Let's take stock of this year. And if next year turns out just as bad – then I think Woodson is yeah, really going to be in trouble. That's but. fair, Jeff. I mean, I agree that Woodson's real ultimate measuring stick comes in. And I apologize on the misstep there. Uh, there's no doubt that next year is the big year in terms of Indiana. But what I'm saying is right now, man, I mean, unless the transfer portal hits big for Indiana, I mean, I think they're going to lose Kilowere. I don't have any information they're going to lose Mbako, but it would be it would seemingly make sense that they could. Um, and then you're probably going to have a couple of transfers. And bottom line is that the guards they have right now aren't aren't any good. They're not any good. They're not. And they don't show signs of being any better next year. And, and they have. I mean, that's one that's recruit tough. coming in. That's right? tough for me to say about cops. Like that's it, he 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 shouldn't have been asked to be this in this role in the first it. place. But d- 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 there like are people, there are people in Bloomington on staff that said to to evaluators that Gabe Cups was going to be better this year than Braden Smith at Purdue. Well, that's insane. That's a total misevaluation. No argument. Gabe Cups is a nice, solid, hardworking player. 
Truth be told, Gabe Cup's best course of action probably should have been to go to like Ohio University for two years, get log a gabillion minutes, and then transfer into the Big Ten. He ain't ready in the Big Ten right now. He's just not, not at least not consistently. He's he's not terrible. I don't disagree. And in and in the old style, he's perfect because you know you start playing more as a late sophomore, early junior, whatever. To your point, yeah. He, but like if Xavier Johnson isn't Xavier Johnson and doesn't have all these tough injuries, it's him and Galloway and Cups is off the bench. You're not asking him to be a starting guard in the Big Ten as a freshman. If, if Xavier Johnson is healthy and is playing the way he's played this year, they're even worse than they are. The fact that that guy's still on the roster is an indictment on Indiana basketball. The fact that Xavier Johnson's gotten like three different chances. He snuck out of a hotel in Chicago and went out and gallivanted around the city past curfew. He drove 90 miles an hour up Walnut. He's had multiple technical fouls. He's the he's the ninth oldest player in Division One college basketball and is older than half the Indiana Pacers roster. Xavier Johnson is absolutely the poster child of everything that's gone wrong with Indiana this year. They relied on him. It blew up in their face, and they're the ones with egg on their face over relying on a guy that has shown absolutely zero reliability, consistency, or anything worth investing in by the time he's in his sixth years of college basketball. Correct, and because of that failed gamble, that's why Gabe Cups is forced to be a starting guard in the Big Ten. But that's an indictment on on the whole process is what I'm getting at. It is, but, but I think, again, that goes back to my point of they just missed this year. Either they failed in the transfer portal to get a guard, or they gambled with what they had internally, and it blew up in their face. John. What's going on, John? Yeah, hi, guys. Uh, a couple things about IU basketball. Mike Woodson. Uh, I've heard he's a super nice guy. Never loved the energy level, though. I don't want Tom Crean, a guy who's frenetic and is out of control energy-wise, but I do want a guy that gets me fired up. I don't feel that with Woodson. Secondly, I don't think IU's had a really good point guard. Now, Yogi Ferrell was very, very talented, but I I would say he was more of a two-guard. I haven't been excited about an IU point guard since Tom Coverdale. That's probably fair. I mean, I'm going through... Uh, Yogi Ferrell, I would say, was a point, personally. I get it, though, John. He probably played his best basketball when he was playing as the two, as a shooting guard, out of necessity. He carried that team his last year there. Uh, Jordan Holtz is a pretty good player, right? He was. He was, yes, better than what they've had. But I would say, if you look through the years at IU basketball, or for any college team, if you don't have good guard play, I would say uh, Indiana has had subpar guard play most of the time since I've lived here in the the mid-90s. That's the frustrating thing, I think, to a lot of people is the fact that, and I realize now we live in a different era where – you know, players can go anywhere and like proximity to staying at home and whatever else probably doesn't mean as much as it used to because your parents can watch you on TV anywhere you go. But when you're in, in Indiana, like you take a star player at Marion High School, Anderson High School, Fishers High School, Carmel High School, whatever, the majority of their classmates are going to, normal kids are going to school at Indiana or Purdue, which should give you an in on getting those kids to follow suit with their classmates. Continue conversation next. Scott Agnes going to join us just a couple minutes, but good conversation about the Boilers and the Hoosiers and the state of both. Frank, who I assume is going to be honest, is going to be frank with us. What's up, Frank? Hey, how you doing, man? I'm all right. How about yourself? Oh, man, y'all killing me on this IU-Purdue thing. I I went to IU for three years. Uh, You know, it, it takes time to rebuild a program. 
I'm not saying Mike Davis is Mike uh, Woodson is doing a great job. I mean, he's got his issues, but you knew when they lost players last year, they lost uh, Miller, um, the center, the guard. Then they lost guys off the bench. They had to rebuild. He went to the portal. uh, Here's Uh, the thing, and I don't mean to cut you off because I get your point, and I'm not saying it's not a valid point. I totally agree with you, Frank. If if Indiana was rebuilding a program and you saw that there were there were like like the Pacers, if you saw that there was a building block, right? Like, okay, they've got a centerpiece and then they're gonna build around that. Who's Indiana's centerpiece? Who's the building block? Who's the foundation that they're gonna build off of? Well, right now is it's where. If you if he's you think gone about it. He's gone. He go- he, so, he, I mean, he's he's there right now. Understood, but, but, but what I'm saying, so he's there right now, and they're 13 and nine, five and six. They're they're not going to make the tournament, and then he goes pro. So then, what do you do? I don't think he's ready for the pro. I, I'm not saying he is, but he's going pro. Mm, well, I'd have to see it. Uh, I don't uh, think he should. Frank, I'm telling you right now. How old a guy are you, Frank? I'm 59. 59. All right. What side of town do you live on? I'm on the north side. North side? Okay. Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. What high school, Frank? Tech. Tech. Ooh, man, wait a minute. Did you know the uh, – trying to think. Sectional finals in 91, man, Tech had some bro- – I think it was the Reader brothers that were really good. But anyway, um, mm-hmm. so here's the thing. If, if Khalil Ware returns to Indiana next year, you call this show, we will meet on the north side, restaurant of your choice <laughs> – I will buy your dinner, and then we will go over like at, over in the Clearwater area, and we'll get massages, not on the same table, but next to one another. I promise it will not be a couple's retreat. And I'll pay for your massage as well if Khalil wears back next year. I, I think you make a great point, Frank, but you get what I'm saying, right? The problem yeah. is they're relying on – when you go through the portal and you go through the NIL, and I totally get what you're saying about it takes a while to build a program, but they've actually taken a step back and yeah. – and now the problem is that there's no foundation of which you're building because you're building on transient mobile homes as opposed to building the foundation in the basement on a brand new house where you're starting from scratch. That That's the problem. And furthermore, it doesn't look any brighter next year because you just replace what it's just a, a treadmill. And to me, the biggest issue is I don't they just don't look well. Like, I don't know exactly what their offense is supposed to be. I don't know what their brand is. And they're going out, and you're losing at home by 14 to a, to a Penn State team that's that's lost its leading score and is under 500. They don't look prepared. They don't look like they they have preparation of what's going on. If you're looking a year from now, I would be enticed if Renew and Mbaka are back with the idea of them bringing in Liam McNeely and seeing what he is, and them going to get a high quality guard in the portal because they don't have one right now. Fair. That's a. I mean, fair. But you're but, building around Mbako at that point, I would think, in terms of players that were I there a year a, before. I think that's. Let me ask this one question: How does how or how did Xavier Johnson potentially impact the ability of getting a guard in the portal? Because if Xavier's coming back and there's Trey Galloway, those are two starting guards, and right. So guard, why would somebody come yeah. in? Right. Yeah, that's fair. And and that goes back to my point where they kind of I, shot listen, themselves in the foot. By, okay, my my point is this. My point is this: If you are reliant on Xavier Johnson. After everything he's put your program through, 
if you are if that's if you put all your eggs in one basket of Xavier Johnson, then you absolutely don't sit there and turn around to me and ask for a Kleenex when you've got the 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 powder all over your face because it blew up on you. The 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 assessment of Xavier Johnson being the key to the kingdom for you and the guy that was going to help it run that right there determination quite frankly, makes me question the coaching acumen. It makes me question the direction of the program when you have decision makers that decided that that was a good idea. Because I talk on the radio for a living and went to Indiana 30 years ago and it took me until a year ago to graduate from the school and I could tell you that was a bad idea. That's the problem. To Eddie's point, Having Xavier Johnson there, they and Jimmy, to your point, they were investing a lot in that, and all of the precedent and every sign that was there was it wasn't just one misstep. It was repeated missteps and a complete disregard to the culture and direction of the way you were trying to do it with your program. Mike, what's up, Mike? Well, I think the big thing everybody misses about Painter is he coaches his players and makes them better. He's shown it time and time again. You know, last year they were picked to not do very well because they were starting two freshman point, you know, two freshmen in the backcourt. He's made Edie better. He made Haas better. He's made Smith better. He's made Lawyer better. And when he brings in a recruit, he's got a whole team full of players that love him that will tell guys, you want to come and play here. Indiana has nothing like that. Well, I will say, Mike, I will say this. It's an excellent point. I don't totally disagree. But to be fair, to be fair, I do think that Trace Jackson Davis probably did, and Jalen hood Shafino both, probably did blossom under Woodson, and it helped in their NBA prospects in the way that – but again – kind of apples and oranges because Mike Woodson's job should be to build the best college basketball team not to immediately prepare guys for the NBA and there's a balance there for certain but it does to say that it's completely voided in Bloomington is probably unfair but in terms of totality and theme of it I totally I I get it I totally agree and I do think that Painter has followed suit with the Purdue mold of developing the big man Uh, Steve real quick squeeze them in steve what's up yeah uh jake great show uh especially appreciate your sidekick jimmy this is mr hood hey mr hood how are you <laughs> great uh yeah i've been rooting for purdue for uh 46 years just wanted to comment about uh, the bar that was you guys were talking about earlier in the show you know, how, how so what's the bar? minimum that they need to do for you <laughs> to finally exhale basically i'm just saying for well, listeners that weren't listening I would say Final Four, and here's why. IU fans heard so much crap from them over the years. They have they have kind of insisted that the bar be that high because of all the talk about the banners and, and that sort of thing, the, the success. And I don't mean to take that away from them. They obviously had a Hall of Fame coach. I actually miss Bobby, to be quite honest. But uh, I just wanted to share my... Uh, 46 years of experience with you and uh thanks for mentioning the marion giants by the way hey man purple rain baby i'm telling you one of the great moments of my life was in 1986 marion came into north central one of their i think two or three losses in the regular season night was there with steve downing in the crowd i was there as part of washington township night and 
Everything about it was awesome. And Jay Edwards, I still maintain, is the greatest basketball player to ever play the game. Not literally, but he's my all-time favorite. Scott Agnes is next. The Pacers are in action tonight at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, taking on the Houston Rockets. One of my favorite trivia questions, which I've said on this show many, many a time, and I'm going to put Scott Agnes on the hot seat right now. Scott Agnes, are you ready for a trivia question that I'm not trying to set you up for looking uh, out of the <laughs> okay. loop? But you're either this is one of those things you either are going to know it, or you're going to be like, I never knew that. Unless you listen to this show, because we educate and entertain on this program, Scott, right? And I've, I've mentioned this under the entertainment category, or excuse me, the education category, never the entertainment. Uh, so I will allow either of the th- any of the three of you to chime in with this answer. We'll do this in Alex Trebek variation. You ready? It is the Let's reason that Houston's basketball franchise is known as the Rockets. Uh, yell your name if you know the answer. Uh, any of the three of you, if you'd like to guess. It is the reason that Houston's NBA franchise is known as the Rockets. Crickets here? NASA. I have no idea. I, I mean, would... yeah, that's the obvious answer, right, Jimmy? Yeah, I mean, be... I, I just thought I would say something for the sake of the group. But yes. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, you didn't say your name first. I need oh, sorry, to ask you in the form of a question. Out. What? Who? Scott, what is a what is NASA? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Ooh, Scott, that is incorrect. The correct answer is that they were originally the San Diego Rockets, and the owner of the franchise had his money invested in a company that made warheads for rockets thus why they were the san diego rockets and after one year they moved to houston which just happens to be the headquarters of nasa and the most appropriate (laughs) franchise move of all time right there you go absolutely and we all know given the fact that you asked that it was not going to be the most obvious that is correct very good point okay now scott agnes my second question for you are you ready Bring it. This is not in the form of a question, but rather true-false, okay? Uh, Every year on St. Patrick's Day, which this year, by the way, falls on a Sunday, please plan accordingly. Uh, Every year on St. Patrick's Day, Shannon and I go to the same bar on the north side and have a beer to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. When we are doing that this year, Buddy Heald will or will not be an Indiana Pacer? That's not a true and a false question, is it? I'm sorry. Buddy Heald will be an Indiana Pacer. True or false? Thank you. Uh, I will say true um, because right now it's going to take a willing partner. It's not as if the Pacers are actively shopping him. But I think we're getting to the point here where the writing is all on the wall about his, his current status and the future. And coming off, Jake, a game where he played a season low minutes, where he's no longer a starter, where he's coming off the bench. He has not been able to produce. I think he's had three points uh, in each uh, game for four of the last eight. That's not the guy they they know they wanted and that they're paying $20 million a year for. So um, if you had to, like you did ask me, I think it's trending towards no, but that would be the most likely candidate, obviously, that um, something would transpire here over the next 48 hours. Scott, is there anything to be said that perhaps his struggles are more indicative of A, the absence of Tyrese Halliburton and what's being asked of Buddy and subsequently the rest of the lineup during the absence or during the absence combined with the minutes restriction tease that's been going on the last couple of games? That combined with the fact that a veteran player, this could be just a slump. Once you get to the all-star break, maybe everything is 
back to normal for him in the second half of the season. Do you get that sense when you look at him, or do you think this is a larger, perhaps, decline happening with Buddy Heald? No, I definitely don't think it's the latter at all. I wouldn't even call it a slump. I I think, too, what you were getting at, it's a multitude of reasons here, starting with a decreased in role and a very different role. He's playing less minutes, so you're going to produce less. He's also playing alongside Tyrese much less. And we've seen over uh, Tyrese's career now in year four together that Buddy's most productive with those two on the court. And I think one thing – um, probably many of the Pacers would like. It's kind of just a clarification of roles and where they're at and what's being asked of them because we've seen things in flux right now. It feels right now a little bit as if they're, um, it's kind of like November where they're trying to establish uh, what they're doing in the past in terms of playing time and all of that. And what I mean by that too is, right, you have Tyrese starting, then you don't, then you have him back in the starting lineup. Shepard was playing a lot. Then TJ McConnell's back into the fold. I think – so much of that, and, and Buddy, like myself, is such a man of routine, and I think you threw him off his routine a little bit, and that's, that combined with a decrease in minutes is, are the two biggest contributing factors. I really don't view it as a slump, though. Here's what I've wondered, Scott. I think that we oftentimes, myself included, we get caught up in vacuums. We, we forget about totality. We look at like four or five games in a vacuum, and we go, that's who this player is right now. You know, Jeremy Lin made a ton of money off vacuum, right? Um, Has Buddy Heald's trade value decreased because of the decrease in production from him? Or do teams look at it in totality and still say, might be in a slump now, but still elite level, quick-triggered shooter? Yeah, I think it's the latter in this instance, Jake. And the reality is, too, you got to contribute consider the big picture here is one he's owed 20 million so to take a to make a trade work you got to be able and willing to send out uh something that would be able to match that right now and right now teams around the league have kind of been reluctant to make trades and i I think you're seeing that uh in large part one due to the play-in tournament so many teams are kind of still right there like golden state who will be here on thursday is just one game out they're in 12th they're one game out of 10th which would put them in the play-in tournament with the Warriors, who knows? If they win five in a row, they might be up to six. And so that slowed kind of the, the trade market, I believe. And then also with Buddy, he's in a contract year, meaning um, if you trade for him, you, you want to know that kind to a lesser extent than Pascal, obviously. But you want to know what it would take to kind of re-sign him. I don't see anyone out there that just kind of wants to rent him for the rest of the year. And in large part, that's also, Jake, because – the new collective bargaining agreement is something that all these teams are trying to figure out. Only three teams are, or excuse me, 13 teams are under the luxury tax threshold. And um, to try to simplify it a little bit, when you're over the luxury tax threshold, you're playing a multiplier of a penalty and money. And on top of that, there's a secondary tier. And so those, those teams that are really chasing it um, are being ultra careful, I think, about how much they spend and where they spend it. And then large, and, and because of all that, that's why we haven't seen much of a trade market develop uh, this week. Scott Agnes is our guest, covers the Pacers for Fieldhouse Files. Scott, a lot of times fans get so caught up in the countdown to the trade deadline and the anxiety mm-hmm. and, and the FOMO even of the modern fan of, oh, it's the deadline and my team's not doing anything. Well, they're going in the wrong direction. What's happening? But in reality... If the Pacers do stand pat, which that's kind of where I think things are trending, they've already made their move. They just happened to do it two weeks before 
the timer hit zero. When you look at it, is that the way that you see it from both a Pacers fan and a front office standpoint is, hey, we we made our big splash and we're no longer buying, but if somebody gives us a call that we can't refuse, then maybe we act on it. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that, Jimmy. The Pacers got ahead of it um, and got a guy that they've been after for I don't know, more than 10 months probably in Pascal Siakam. So that was a huge win in its own right. So if they sit pat, I wouldn't be surprised. And on top of that, uh, I couldn't criticize where where they're at right now because they got their guy, you try to get into the summer and then um, try to refigure out uh, kind of the path that you're headed to next because obviously bringing him on elevates you to another level to the point where now – Playoffs aren't just good. They are the expectation. And more than anything, you, you expect for Pascal to put you into the top six conversation and out, in the, out away from the play-in tournament. Now, there's two ways in which I could see the Pacers get involved here. One, it's, it's if someone comes calling and there's a reasonable deal, like we t- discussed with, with Buddy Heal, for example, just because it just doesn't seem like that relationship will continue beyond June. Once his, that contract comes to an end, he... Uh, they had brief talks in the fall about trying to find something, um, some common ground on a contract extension. They were far apart. Things never got serious. Uh, Buddy's at the point in his career where he wants to get paid, but he also uh, wants to win and he wants to play. He's not at the point where he's 36 and willing to accept a role where he's playing 15 minutes a night and off the bench and on a lo- or even on a losing team as a mentor. He's not there. He's ready to play and win now and all those things. And, his best attribute beyond shooting is also his availability. He does not miss games. He loves the game. So um, the, the Pacers could do something like that. And then the other thing I could see them get involved with, although, uh, again, it would take a, a suitor here that would be willing to offload kind of a prime asset, is if you're, if you're able to go back to what I talked about this offseason, really needing to c- consolidate roster spots. So right now you've got a few excess power forwards you have a few excess guards if you could consolidate those into a uh, you know six man let's say a key player off the bench uh, rather than having you know three potential bench guys that would be something that would intrigue me as well if I'm the Pacers but right now after the Pascal move everything they do now moving forward Jimmy has to be with Pascal's future contract in mind because Tyrese Halliburton's max extension kicks in this summer and assuming things work out with the Pacers and Pascal and I have no reason to believe they won't that's probably another max deal that the Pacers will be on the hook for. So that's where Ted Wu, the, the vice president of cap, basically for the Pacers, really has to um, get his money's worth and try to maximize what he can do with this roster. Yeah, I mean, the reality in terms of Pascal Siakam would be this, Scott, and, that, and you know this, but I'm just saying this for, for listeners' sake. There was no assurance by all account that Pascal Siakam was a lock, stock, and barrel re-sign when they acquired him but they would not have acquired him if there was an assurance that that was not a possibility. You get what I'm saying yeah, there? No, you're exactly. Like, yeah, you're exactly if his right. agent had said, look, there's Pascal hates Indianapolis. He's not going to live there. They would not have made that move. But um, I'm in agreement with you. That seems it certainly all, all signs indicate that he is going to be a pacer beyond this year. I mean, I, that seems almost indisputable at this point. Now, the, the question then becomes, is that enough? You know, I think a lot of people look at it, Scott, and say Halliburton Siakam, 
you know, there's oh, is everything okay there? Are you at a basketball game? Are you at practice? Was there a buzzer going off? Is there a fire alarm? What's going on there? Yeah, I'm at Gamebridge Fieldhouse for the Matt Ants G League game. First game of a doubleheader today. Um, and, so I'm in the bowels of Gamebridge Fieldhouse right okay, now. Okay, just out, just out of curiosity, uh, that game began at what time? Twelve thirty. Twelve thirty. So it's forty three minutes into the game. Can you go out and give us a score update by chance, or would you lose con- connection if you do that? Is there an uh, illegality there? No, I'll go out and give that to you. No we have problem. the breaking news sounder, Eddie. We can do breaking news for this, Scott. When you have the score, let us know, and we'll do the breaking news sounder and get people updated on what's going on here. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, this just in from Scott Agnes. Matt Ant's playing at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Scott, do you have a score report for us? I do, Jake. 320 left here at Gamebridge Fieldhouse in the first half. Blue Coats leading the Matt Ants 51-36 with Jarris Walker. Playing, but currently on the bench. Uh, I'm sorry, you said they're trailing glucose. Is that right? <laughs> the blue coats, the, the Delaware blue coats, the blue coats. Okay, I, I thought maybe di- team of the I thought maybe we were talking diabetes because glucose was getting the better of it. Okay, uh, okay. The, so what I was going to ask you is this: if you are and you can retreat back to your bowels for better service, if you were looking at a third fiddle, essentially moving forward for Siakam and Tyrese Halliburton. Do we see enough, Scott, in terms of the progression to think that guy possibly is on the roster and his name is Aaron Neesmith? Mm, that's really interesting because I, that was not the guy that I thought you were going with. I thought you were going with Kevin Bowen's MVP, which is Benedict Mather. Well, that's obviously – we'll get to Mather in a second. Sure. In, in terms of Neesmith, do I think he can become, let's say, that third star that you really kind of need to make a, uh, a real push and be a contender? Probably not. I kind of see him as that outside guy because I, I look at your, that third guy, or, or even second for that matter, and a guy, it's a guy that kind of can take over games and really make one giant impact. Or if one of the stars is out, he can help hold their own or go off for 50. I don't see that type of ceiling for Aaron, but man, he is he is continuing to raise his floor to the point where he's become indispensable in terms of the intangibles, the dirty work, his rebounding has really improved, his shot making and three point percentage. Um, so while I, I continue to value him more within the team, I don't see him as a third star. Because here's my thing with Matherin, and this Scott, I want you to, to tell me if this makes sense. I'm getting worried. I think Matherin's a wonderful player, and I think he he has an unbelievable drive about him. I think he's competitive as hell. Um, but of all the players on that roster, the only one that at times I have seen half-court sets where they get vapor-locked when the ball is in their hands and everything kind of stalls is Benedict Matherin. And I think he's working through that. I think they're aware of it and he's working through it. But I wonder if, in order to be a great player, it means that he's a great player who isn't necessarily playing well with others, for lack of a better phrase. Is that too harsh? No, I don't think so. I just try – when I think Matherin, I, I think he's being asked to do so many different drastic things than he was used to that right now it's, it's really – you're seeing him be a perfect example of while you do understand while they came out of college early – how much beneficial it would have been for him to stay in school and be polished more so uh, in, in so many areas like a Trace Action Davis, for example, where he benefited from that. But no one could, could uh, dis- disagree with his decision to come out, but he comes here, 
and he's used to playing one-on-one ball, putting his head down, attacking the basket, getting to the foul line, and that's his primary game. His three-point shot is just okay. His defense, he's never really been asked to guard too much. And so that's among the biggest things that Rick Carlisle, Jenny Busick, and all those uh, Pacers assistant coaches have worked very closely with. And sometimes, Jake, I think you see him thinking too much to where he's like, all right, i got to check this box to make them happy. i got to do this. And if I don't overthink that, then I'm going to feel the effects of this and practice, rather than just playing. And I think that's typical, to be clear, of a young guy. But I do want to see more continued progress from him because he hasn't um, had that, that giant growth that you so often see from a player from year one to year two. And some of that, I feel like, goes back to what you highlighted there, Scott. He's only 21 years old, and oftentimes for players, yes, there's a jump between year one and year two, and like you outlined it, because he's being asked to do so much, maybe it hasn't been as drastic. I think he has improved in some areas, but it's really that third year for me with him of Mm -hmm. where does he really take off? Is this a jumping-off point for him moving forward? You mentioned when you look at the situation from a cap structure standpoint, where the books are going to be next year. In terms of where the books will be this offseason versus where they are at from losing a player for nothing and making a trade potentially at the deadline, where does Obi Toppin factor into that being a restricted free agent? Because he's a guy, as things stand, that it would not surprise me if he's in a different home because someone pays him money the Pacers aren't willing to match. Is he another guy that is viewed in these final two days as, well, you got to make a decision if you're going to ride it out with him and risk him walking for nothing, or if maybe he's a piece that someone would call upon now to have the bird rights and have the restricted free agent aspect of him next offseason? Right. That would, be the, that would be the biggest reason that a team would come calling to the Pacers because they would own his bird rights. Therefore, as you alluded to, the team like the Pacers right now would be able to match whatever offer is out there. I'm just curious how high that might go um, or, or how low it might go, for example. Right. Because, and why I bring that up, too, is because in the fall, we saw a lot of players in the draft class, including Tyrese before even the deadline, agree to contract extensions. And nothing really got there with OB. The sense I got was there really wasn't much discussion. OB was kind of curious to let the season play out, not – not be locked into this new home before even playing a game for the Pacers. And, and maybe he could next to Tyrese Halliburton, he saw what miles Turner did having a career year last year and then getting paid. He was curious what that would look like. And so he's getting to free agency here um, to when then he can most likely choose his destination. Um, if the price is high enough, because you're right with the Pacers current situation, there will be a number where the Pacers cannot go any higher. You know, right now it's his last deal of his rookie contract, which is relatively affordable. Um, right now, I don't think there will be any kind of movement there, but after Buddy, that's a good point, Jimmy. He would be the next guy that you could consider moving on from. The thing is, with Rick Carlisle, too, you want to decide, you know, what is your, what is your wing or what does your power forward position look like? Knowing Pascal's no guarantee, but let's assume – that he's back next year. Who's your backup for? Well, could be Jarris, but I, I don't think he's quite ready for that just yet. He's not getting real minutes here. You could do Neesmith, but if we if you we see him more at the three, which I think he's better suited for, um, you, you want to have that backup four. So right now, I think it's more likely heading that way. Scott, if I'm not mistaken, I'm going off memory here. Um, I think one time we had a discussion about cereal. You're a cinnamon toast crunch guy. Am I right in that, or am I totally off base? You are right, though. I very rarely have it anymore. 
But that that and <laughs> Lucky Charms are my go-to if I ever do have it. Really? So so are you an all-day cereal eater or just breakfast cereal eater? Because I think cereal is uh, underrated for a lunch. What do you think? Uh, it wouldn't be my top choice. I'm, the only time I really grab at the cereal, Jake, is if I'm on, on the road and it's right there in the lobby as I'm out, headed out the door. And you little can hotel breakfast? On the car. <laughs> little hotel <laughs> okay. breakfast bar, grab the cereal Have box? You ever, Scott, confess to this, okay? Have you ever eaten a continental breakfast or the little layout breakfast at a hotel that you were not staying in? Did you ever pose as a guest in said hotel, grab a USA Today, go in and sit down and eat breakfast? Have you? No, I have not. Uh, have you? Derek Schultz. Derek Schultz admits to this crime on a regular basis. I have not. However, okay, how about this? Did you ever in college commit buffet crimes where you go to like, you know, one of the big buffet places, one guy buys a plate and then you kind of pass it around, take turns and keep going up? Yes or no? No, no, I didn't. Okay, I never I even, even thought to do that. That, that. that that's ingenious. I would never even think about that. I mean, desperate times, desperate I measures know, in college, yeah. right? There was a there was a place in Bloomington that that we might have committed some buffet crimes. I don't. I mean, statute of limitations is up, right? Um, all right, last thing, Scott Jarris Walker. Sure. Look, I talked to, to in talking to the Pacers. I know that they will say that they are still very high on him, and they. They absolutely think he can play. It's just a log jam at position. And that Ben Shepard, his fellow rookie, is getting minutes, and he is not because of necessity at position based on injuries. Do you think that that is lock, stock, and barrel the truth, or do you think that at this point he is showing less than what they were hoping for? Actually, I kind of agree. I agree with both of them in that Ben was more ready-made. He could step in right away if needed. And he has been called upon more so because of Tyrese's injury, T.J. McConnell's illness, and, and Bruce Brown being moved opened up an opportunity. And that said, I remember a conversation I had with Rick at the beginning of the season at training camp when I, I set him up in terms of the question, hey, are, do you plan to treat Jarris much like Ben where he very much needs to earn it and all that? And he goes, wait, hold on. Jarris is a very totally different situation. And how I read into that was, hey, look, he's not even close to being ready um, so, but do you we're, think we're they thought he would be close to being ready at this point, or do you think from the get-go they were aware of the timeline that they're currently on? I think that he, they expected him to be contributing more, but I did not expect, or nor is my understanding today, expect him to jump right in and and be you know that that starting power forward at all. That's why when they acquired Obi, you knew Obi was going to be in the starting lineup right away. I did expect Jarris to get more reliable minutes as a backup four, for example, rather than going other directions. Um, so I, I, the biggest thing with Jarris, Jake, has just been his defense and um, how much he gambles and having to learn different things. I talked with him about it a couple weeks ago. He said, yeah, this is totally different than what we were doing in Houston, where they gambled a ton and they were physically and almost always better than the opposing team. And um, he was just risk of he, – he was willing to take all those risks, and now he's having to learn – to play more in a system and, and try to gamble less. And so we're seeing here in the G League where, it, where we see a lot of pros. His three-point shot looks much better. That's one of the highlights, I would say. Um, his ball handling as well. When I was out there for the first quarter here today, Jake, he was bringing the point guard. He was bringing it up most of the time, which I thought was interesting. But defensively, I would say that's not quite where they would like to see it just yet, this part of the season. By the way, Fieldhouse Files, where you can read all of Scott's reports about 
the Pacers. It is also part of Substack, so there are different ways that you can subscribe to be able to read a number of different people. Also, that includes his coverage of the G League team, the Mad Ants. When are they changing that from Mad Ants, or are they sticking with that since they've moved from Fort Wayne? No, it'll be changing. They'll be down here, Jake, for one more year at the Fieldhouse while they build up that Noblesville Event Center. Um, but in the contract, the stipulation will is that it'll be the Noblesville something. Okay, so, I have um, on the other side, and wait for it, Scott, and I know that you're going to immediately be downloading the app to listen to our answer. We on the program, Query and Company, we have consulted with our own marketing division of Query and Company, and we have come up with the perfect name for the G League team, the perfect name for the G League team. And if it, and I'm telling you right now, I'm going to use all influence that I have with the Pacers, which is none, and try to push this through. So, can I make one guess? Sure. Now it would be it is so unlike Jake because again, this is the most obvious. But I think you're a man of tradition, like Indy 500, and so the obvious thing I think would be the Noblesville Millers. Okay. The other one would be something related to Slick Leonard. Because you cannot honor him or Nancy enough here. But I'll, okay. I'll have to listen back up. To when I was a have. kid, Noblesville High School, of course, they're the Millers. They used to have bumper stickers everywhere that said, follow the Millers. And I always thought that I was like, man, every person up here's last name is Miller. It's unbelievable. <laughs> everywhere we go. Uh, all right. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it on the other side. Scott, we appreciate it, man. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, if you've listened to this program for a while, you might know the answer. But it is a fabulous crossover and it wasn't me that came up with it it was one of the two of you but i came up with the reason for the crossover on why it's the perfect name for the g league team and we'll tell you next so when we are at racetracks i oftentimes give tours of the paddock area and i have and you have to understand that when you are giving a tour, for example, if we are at, Eddie, give me a race off the top of your head that is not the Indianapolis 500. Daytona. The IndyCar race, please. Uh, Laguna Seca. Okay, thank you. So if I'm at Laguna Seca and I'm giving a race tour, I'm under the assumption that the vast majority of people in the Monterey, California area are probably there in some sort of a sponsorship promotion or you know, that they're not necessarily diehards and it's their first experience with the race. And so in a, in doing that, I try to speak in layman terms is the wrong word, but you know, in a language that's easier for everybody to understand. If I sat there and said like, okay, here we are, this is the Delara chassis, which obviously has inside of it a, you know, V6 turbocharged engine. And they're like, what are you talking about? So one of the stops on the tours we go through is the Firestone area. And of course, Laguna Seca, as Eddie had just mentioned, you have two sets of tires you have a softer compound tire and you have the primary black tire the softer compound tire as i always explain it to people and there's a tie-in to basketball and the pacers so bear with me when i talk to people about the firestone tires what i say is this hey you're at a road course race so you're going to see the tires that have a red ring around them that's called the alternate tire what that is is that is an already broken in tire example given your your blue jeans you buy a pair of levi jeans they're they're hard they're kind of stiff you wash them a few times you wear them they soften up and it's a lot easier to move around that's how the rubber is on the softer compound tire and take a piece of bubble gum if you have a brand new piece of bubble gum and you step on it it probably just cracks but if you have an already chewed piece of bubble gum and you step on it it's a lot stickier 
And that's what those tires are. They're stickier. And so when they go out on the softer compound tires, they have more grip and they can be a little bit more fearless in the way they drive. When they have a brand new set of those tires, they still have on them the sticker. And those are known as sticker tires. Or because there has been no scuff on the sticker tires, they're also known as slicks. A set of slick tires or a set of tires that have not been scuffed and they are brand new. If you are naming a basketball team in the state of Indiana and the Pacers is already used even though Pacers has double meaning. Pacers is primarily named as the basketball franchise is as a recognition of the horse racing heritage in the state of Indiana. And then of course the tie-in of the fact that the Indianapolis 500-mile race is here, and of course there is a pace for the race. Double meaning. Slicks is a tire in the racing world, and drivers that are driving in the Indy 500 are racing on slicks. Obviously, there is no figure within the history of the Indiana Pacers going to their ABA days and their NBA days that has been more significant There is no one person who is a greater pillar of the franchise all the way through, and there is no couple that is more responsible for maintaining a franchise in this town than the Leonards of Nancy and Slick Leonard. And Nancy Leonard still goes to the games. She is the matriarch of the franchise, no question about it, but Slick Leonard being the guy that coached him, being the guy that broadcasted him, and being the guy that helped in the telethon that saved him, then the team should be the Indiana Slicks. I'd like to record that and send it over to Pacers Sports and Entertainment. On a more lighthearted note, and by the way, I totally agree with you. I think that would be awesome. I think and I can't remember do. which of the two of you it was that came up me, with that. So I'm going to say it was Eddie. I said the Slicksters. Slicksters? Okay. So I, I just think the Indiana Slicks, the racing tire, and Slick Leonard. Give Bowser some slicked back hair and bring him back. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Bring him back. Put a leather Give, jacket give him a home on him. in Noblesville. Put a leather jacket on him? Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm telling you right now. Right now, if you are listening to this show, I want you to tweet me with in, hashtag Indiana Slicks and tag the Pacers. Literally, just Indiana Slicks. Hashtag Indiana S-L-I-C-K-S with at Pacers. I can't be the only one, and Eddie, I think, is the one that came up came up with this, but in terms of the racing tie-in, that's where my brain went, and then I thought, this is a natural, because it works in both counts, right? Yeah. It's perfect. I mean, I got no problem with Matt Ants, but that's named for Matt Anthony Hatter, obviously. It, I think, wasn't that his name? No. Matt Anthony Wayne, sorry. Matt Anthony Hatter would be Alice Wonderland. Matt Anthony Wayne, who Fort Wayne is named for, that's why they're the Matt Ants, Um you could still do Mad Ants, even though you're not playing in Fort Wayne anymore. But if they are doing away altogether with it, it's got to be the Slicks. Indiana Slicks makes way too much sense. It even rolls off the tongue. It's slick, right? I have no arguments with it. I wish I had a list of other mascot names that I would deem appropriate in front of me right now that I've concocted late in the night, say around Jake Query hours, so 2 to 4 a.m., but I, I don't have any of those with me. So, yeah, I, it, it you have a motif. You have a historical rationale for it. I think it would be... Met with praise and now, here's the other loving thing. it. Yeah, I have nothing. The like the the logo, like slicks. You have it. You have slicks leaning to the right, like it's taking off. Mm-hmm. 
and then you have the I of of or the C of the slicks be a tire. Although it has to be a tire going to the right. So maybe the dot, but but you have a tire, but also like it, it makes too much sense, right? I feel like this is one of those. It's going to go down in the annals of Jake Query history of great idea, incredible top shelf thought, and should have happened. And then when they're like the Bearcats, we're going to sit back and be like, <laughs> "What are they doing?" Like we had this whole plan. Jake mapped it all out for you, and yeah, it's the Grizzly Cubs. I'm telling you. It, it makes way too much. It's kind of like this. The other one that I came up with. And by the way, just so people know, I have trademarked this, so don't try. Okay. You've trademarked the next thing you're sharing or you've trademarked slicks? I've trademarked the next thing that I'm sharing. Like legit, like we're not being funny. You have I a have a trademark. Or a trademark. I have an actual trademark wow. for the phrase. And it's been a while since I've broken it. But now that the trademark's gone through, I'm going to start. I mean, T-shirts, hats, you name it. You ready? Go on. You've heard the phrase, don't mess with Texas, right? Yes. Don't mess with Texas is a phrase that came about during an anti-littering campaign in the 70s. Then you have Virginia is for lovers. You heard that? I have. Virginia is for lovers was an ad campaign that was, you know, like some intern came up with it, right? Take your word for it. In all areas, if you are promoting for people to come and root for the Pacers, if you're trying to convince Pascal Siakam to sign long-term here, if you're trying and falling for the bamboozlement of Amazon, pretending like they're going to move like Amazon 3 headquarters or whatever it was, and you are putting out the red carpet to tell them why they should come and move their commerce, their business here. I forgot about that. What a time. Yeah, that was a total scam. <laughs> With all of that, you ask one simple question. Why not Indiana? Why not Indiana? You say that you're tired of the rat race of Los Angeles and sitting in six-hour traffic to go 20 miles? You're thinking about moving? Why not Indiana? You're tired of the taxes in New York State and you love New York City, but it's just become too expensive and you want a nice green yard with acreage? Why not Indiana? You're looking for an NBA team to root for. And you're a G League fan because you like to see up-and-coming players and you want a team that's sleek and sexy and pays homage to not only the patriarch of the franchise but also their great racing heritage, then guess what? We have the team for you to root for. You know which one? Why not Indiana? Put it on T-shirts. Put it on hats. I'm telling you right now, marketing gold. Don't try doing anything with it because I've already trademarked it. Travis. Travis, you are in the company. What line of work are you in, Travis? Oh, I uh, I uh, I pick online orders for restaurants and deliver them. Oh, that's right. You are you are. If I'm not mistaken, you are our director of food distribution, right? Well, you know, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I have an idea, and I, just because the slicks. If you're not as familiar with car racing, even though I've lived uh, 20 minutes from the speedway my entire life, um, slicks is kind of just a weird. Hey, we're getting ready to play the slicks tonight. I was thinking. What if you pay homage to both Slick and keep part of the real name, and you could probably work out a pretty cool logo if you did, like, the Slick Ants? <laughs> okay, it's not I mean, terrible, you can, Travis. You can, turn a racing, you can turn a racing tire into, like, a little logo with an ant, like, moving kind of cool. <laughs> I, I think you got it with the Slick Ants. 
<laughs> All right, fair enough. I'll, just, I'll I'll give you some credit. There's a reason, Travis, why why you're the director of distribution and not marketing. But I do kind of like it. Actually, does it work the other way? If it's it the sounds, Mad here's the thing. It sounds weird, but then once you do it and people hear it, they'd be like, "Yeah, okay, I got it." Right? Does it work the other way? If it's the Mad Slicks, I don't think so. I don't think that that works as well. <laughs> Slick was never mad. Correct. That's a right, exactly. So come on now, baby. Slick hands the only way you can do it. That's right. I bet Slick got in a few fights in his life. Adam. Adam, hey. what's up? Hey, Jake. Uh, I like your suggestion. I also want to add out there that there's another tie-in. Uh, Noblesville operated a large Firestone tire plant for many, many years. Oh, closing, I think, are you uh, serious? Around 2000. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Adam. I mean, Adam, what, what line of work are you in, Adam? I'm in sales. Uh, what, what do you sell? Uh, software. Okay. So here, here's the thing, Adam. You are the director of historical research. How's that? Is that cool? <laughs> I love it. Right. I love it. The director of commerce research. And all, all the better, Adam. Thank you. Listen, see, this is the kind of thing. It just it, it seeps out, and then it just goes through literally. Like, my brain is this little tributary of knowledge that just works its way into the Mississippi River of nonstop tie-ins. I'm telling you. And then they go, and they name the racers, and it's like, well, it rhymed, so it made sense for us. And Jake's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? We have this whole plan. You. It, the Slicks is the best. All right, hold on. Darren. Darren, did you have a question about the Slicks or about IndyCar? Uh, about IndyCar in general. Of course, we're uh, coming up on the 500, and uh, the, the rumors are swirling about guaranteed entrance again, and I know that's kind of a, uh, uh, I wouldn't even say a 50-50 uh, shot of it actually happening. Um, what do you think the odds are that this actually will happen this coming May? I don't know about this May, Darren, and just so people know, um, Darren is referring to the fact that Roger Penske um, is, and thank you, Darren. Darren, by the way, Stuart Tire down on the south side, great dude. Um, Roger Penske has talked about the fact that what he wants to see now is that if you are an entrant into the IndyCar series, that you have an automatic spot in qualifying for the Indianapolis 500. I do think that eventually that's going to happen. I have no no inside knowledge on that and um I, I simply think it because roger pinsky owns the series and if he wants it one would think that that's the case that it's going to happen but i don't know that it would happen this may because i think there'd be a lot that has to be ironed out and you already have some uh one-offs if you will that could come in that you that are going to want to say like wait a minute you know and what's the deal here in terms of we thought it was you, you know just for example like Cusick with with Ryan Reinbold. I mean, if they're not a full time IndyCar seat, you know, they're like, wait a minute, we, we we put all the money together for an entrant. You didn't tell us now that there's the possibility that we could be bounced, even though there are less than thirty three. You know, they would get in, but you get what I'm saying, right? I think there are in there are logistics that would have to be worked out, but I do think eventually it's going to happen. Would that get rid of bump day? Well, it depends. I mean, if there are, if you have thirty three full time IndyCar entrants, then they those 30 there's your field so but if you have 36 full-time entrants you would have bump day because you still only take 33 so it just depends on that i mean as it is right now there it would be like 27 that are automatically guaranteed and then you have six spots reserved traditionalists would throw a hissy no question about it and and i i I understand to a great extent i mean we could we could sit here and probably talk from now until may about qualifying and just it's it's overall relevance and buzz and those sorts of things. Um, but I do think eventually it's going to happen, although I don't have anything to base that on other than, 
you know, I respect that Roger Penske is the owner of the series and he's been uh, on record of something that that is something that he would like to explore. Uh, Steven's going to join us at two. We'll, we'll take a couple more calls about slicks, but we'll do it on the other side. Now, somebody said to me that they think that um, slicks sounds like a 1911 Indiana baseball team. Hell yeah. You know? Yes, I would understand that rationale. That's the that's the beauty of it. Like you just think about a bunch of guys sitting around in some old black and white photo with the like the the weird like rounded squared pirates kind of hats that like we are family wore. Some weird knickerbocker pants. Let's go. I really like your name idea. I just feel like inevitably it's probably going to be the field. Like if 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 you made me listen. Listen. I, you have my full support. I'm just being the realist in the room. I'm trying to, to think of how you draw You sound like something. a pessimist. Well, I said I was a realist. It's my truth, Eddie. <laughs> so, like, the logo looks something like this, like, you know, like like leaning, like it's like it's taking off to the right. Yeah. Put it up to the camera so they can see that. Well, and you, then you can see the rest of my doodles on here. I don't. I got phone numbers written down mm. for Holder, I think. Okay. You need some smoke from the back. I mean, like I, I'm not an off. artist, right? Like, I'm not a graphic designer. Need some smoke coming off the, the ass yeah. as it takes yeah, off. Yeah, right? I mean, I'm telling you, slicks. It works, yeah. right? Yes, it does. Ty. What's up, Ty? Hey, hey good afternoon. Ty, hey, have you called the program? Be- have you called the show before, Ty? Not this one, no. I'm usually, I drive for a living, so I normally don't call. You sound like a nice guy, Ty. Uh, where do you, Where are you driving right now? I'm driving back from uh, Southern Kentucky. Oh, okay. That, um, so you're are you in Kentucky right now? Yeah. Or, yes. Were you down near Bowling Green by chance? I'm going through it as we speak. You should go into the Corvette Museum and you can see where the big sinkhole was. They've got a whole thing where you can watch a simulation of it. It's pretty fascinating. I do want to do that someday, but I drive for a living, so I don't really like it. Do you you ever stop at Bucky's, Ty, when you're driving? I think they have one there in Kentucky. Have you ever been to Bucky's? No, I haven't, but the one you're mentioning that I passed is like market 38 and it's a under construction as we speak okay there we go all right well ty we appreciate drive safely by the way uh what's on your mind all right first of all i do have an indycar question but i just thought you might be interested I, i have no idea why i know this but you were talking about the rockets going to houston and how a perfect fit that was if you look at the origin of the detroit pistons they actually started in fort wayne correct and and there's a guy named Fred Zolner who manufactured pistons with the owner. And they were called uh, Zolner Pistons. I believe that's what they were called. I, then they moved to Detroit. Which is like Detroit. the more fitting thing, right? To exact same scenario, yeah. right? Yeah, I didn't know if you knew that. I did know they were but, the Fort Wayne Pistons, but that's you're right, though. I mean, that is obviously the perfect, perfect name. Once you went to Detroit, there was no change necessary. Um, all right, what's your IndyCar question? And I can't promise uh, I'll answer it, but I'll try. All right. Now, I've asked Robin Miller in the past, and everybody gives me the same answers. They're always there. But why is Cosworth there every year doing statistics, taking times? Um, what is the answer they give? I mean, I, I don't know the answer. I would assume that it, that it is. You mean, d- define what you mean by always there taking times. They, they're set up in the pit area, picking down statistics, and I was the thing I'm getting at is like if there's no interest, why be there all these years? 
Right, because I mean, obviously they're not because they're not an, uh, an entrant anymore. Is what you're getting at, right? Right. I was wondering if what you thought about that. Uh, if you, what answer did they give? Because there were years where, and and I apologize, Ty, and the fact that my years kind of run together after a while. But there have been years where Cosworth has actually been a contributor, or in, in terms of engines or telemetry behind the scenes in partnership with different manufacturers, and I can't remember which one it is at this time, uh, but what answer did Robin, for example, give you? That or oh, that or they are there that. just in case they ever decide with the, the Ilmore or whatever it might be to come back into the mix? Well, I didn't get an answer from Robin. Um, he just said they, they're always there, and someone pulled him away, and... Uh, he, he had to go speak with that person. So. You know what? I'll, I'll actually. I was just wondering. That's a good question, Ty. I'll ask. I mean, my guess would be, my guess would be that they actually, because you would be surprised, um, some of the different corporations that are involved. I'd have to look at my media guide to be quite truthful, but there are those that are that may not have an actual entrant or may not be an engine engine manufacturer, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a an actual invested interest in terms of a partnership in other areas where they are providing information or telemetry or scoring or timing for the league itself. Um, And I'd have to look at that. That's a very good question because they obviously have not run there for a while, although they have worked in partnership with, um, you know, the Elmore engine and other things over the course of the years. Um, Stephen Holder, by the way, is going to join us and he's going to do it next. Okay. Ty, here you go. And thank you for the submission of answer here. Pi used to be the company that had the technology involved in the steering wheel. Within the steering wheel, they have all kinds of information for the driver. Everything from oil pressure to uh, fuel efficiency to temperature tire or, or tire temperature, everything. They're just like us? All in the steering wheel. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. You know you know how in your steering wheel you have sure. all that, though? Yeah. They, the drivers have all of that and as well as weight jackers and other such things. The company that facilitated all of that information and the accuracy of that information was bought by Cosworth. Cosworth now oversees that technology and thus why they are at the Speedway. Stephen Holder joins us now on the program. Of course, you read his work at ESPN.com, and he was at the Pro Bowl. We talked about that. Uh, He's been a busy guy in covering the NFL and now, of course, the Super Bowl uh, Stephen, I'll begin with this. The Pro Bowl itself, I know that, you know, I heard you talking to John about this. You, you irritated Stefan Diggs. But in terms of uh, the Colts, any storylines that came about or that raised your eyebrow in relation to the Indianapolis Colts uh, that happened or that you were able to obtain through being around the Pro Bowl? I wouldn't say anything extraordinary. Um, well, a couple things, though. Um, I did talk to Quentin Nelson a bit, and one thing he he shared is that you know he, he and and DeForest Buckner too actually so the both of them the the one thing they had in common is that they they both physically feel pretty good going into this off season. Now I know everyone says that, but uh, but that number one that that matters a lot right now just because you know, they they hope to have an, an off season where they you know where they are not in uh, a situation where they're you know, they're having to recover or rehab or have surgery, which Quentin Nelson has done a couple of times in recent years. 
Um, so they, they feel like that positions them to kind of have a better offseason and, and going into next offseason in a better position to succeed. The other thing I would say is I, I did have a chat with Gardner Minshew. Uh, we know he's a free agent this coming offseason. Um, so I, I will have a story on this at some point. But basically the big takeaway I thought was that he – you know, he, he he's not going to obsess over what happens next. You know, he, he doesn't want to do that and isn't ruling out anything right now. Um, he's going to kind of let this play out and, and see what happens. So um, he didn't commit to coming back or not coming back or looking for a starting job elsewhere. You know, he, he really was very nonspecific, but that was intentional. He wants to kind of let things play out. And his point was, you know, I kind of let – I, I kind of just uh, last year, he said the way, I, the way he approached it, it ended up, he didn't know at the time, he says, I ended up in the best place. And it was Indy. Now, unfortunate circumstances created that situation where Richardson got hurt. But ultimately, on a personal level, it worked out for Gardner Minshew. So, you know, I think it, it, there was a lesson learned there was to kind of just, you know, let things play out and, uh, you know, it'll work out for the best. By the way, Stephen, right now, while you were talking, Eddie, go ahead and hit it. Uh, this breaking news, Stephen Holder on X, also known as Twitter, from Jim Ursay. Quote, on the mend, grateful for all the messages of love and support. End I quote. see that. Stephen, yep. your reaction? Uh, I, 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 it's hard to know what it all means. I hope that's the case. Um I don't know. I think it, it's hard to it's hard to to know exactly what it means without any follow up details or any additional details. Um, I'll be happy. I'll be interested. I should say to learn more about what we're talking about here. Um, it's the first semi positive thing we've heard in I'll think about a month. That's a long time, very long time. And I will say this too: as of my last you know, real conversations with people about his circumstance, I would say within the last 10 days or so, um, there was not any positive news at that point. So this is, this is definitely much different than, than everything I've heard um, very recently. And even more recently, I should say than the last 10 days, there, there was another conversation that, that we at ESPN have had more recently that, that was very concerning uh, so this is good. This is good. Do, do you believe, Stephen, and, and look, feel free to decline, right, when I ask mm -hmm. a question to just say it, but do you think that that tweet came from Jim Irsay? I don't know. I really don't. I, I, I cannot answer that question. Um, let me put it this way. Uh, are, there, are there other people with access to his Twitter account? Yes. That's all I can say. I, I don't know the answer beyond that. Yes. Um, with that, Stephen, and I want to kind of tread lightly to protect, I guess, both of us, right? I mean, I'm not trying to put you in a mm -hmm. bad spot. But I, I but I think now that that's out there, we we can shed light here. Yeah. And, uh, and I will let you either put as much sprinkle on top of this as you'd like or simply pass the dish on to the, you know, and we'll move on. But like most of us in Indianapolis – we have, and I don't want to speak for you, Stephen, but I know that I have heard countless numbers of rumors 
from worst case scenario to not as bad, but more often than not, the rumors about Jim Mercer have been of very bad scenarios about his health and his status and his condition, I guess is the best way of saying it. Correct. And there was never anything to refute those reports, including from, I mean, I can speak for myself just in, in talking to people from the Colts while they were not defiant by any stretch of the imagination, they didn't confirm nor deny the the situations that were floating around the city of Indianapolis. And the one thing that I had recently heard was that he was, in fact, in very dangerous territory, but it was dangerous territory that was the result of a practice or a procedure done for him that was medically observed and therefore the situation wasn't as dire as one would assume because it was under watchful eye the entire time. That's all pretty vague, I realize. With HIPAA, it becomes more and more difficult. And there is also obviously the understanding and the respect of one's personal medical situation. Um, But to your point, that is probably the first leak or sign or glimpse of positivity that we have gotten probably since just before Christmas. Would you agree with all of that? Yeah, I absolutely. I, and I, I would also say, you know, without going further than I should, I'll just say uh, that there have been varying degrees of, of, I, I don't even think rumor is the right word because I, I think some of this is people in position to know. And, and those are not, those are there may be they may be classified as rumors, but there's also some some actual knowledge behind some of what has been said too. You know what I mean? It's not like just the some of this. There is the telephone game, right? That does happen in in my business, and and you know how that goes, right? We we get a lot of that. That's why we don't repeat a majority of the things that we hear because we don't know who said to who what, and and if we're just you know hearsay and all that, right? However. Um, people in position to have some idea of what is happening. None of those people have expressed anything of a positive, uh, of, of a positive variety about what was happening with him. And in fact, as you said, uh, I had heard some very, very, very concerning things about Jim Ursay's health. Um, without, you know, without going into specifics, because I don't know if the specifics are true. I'm just telling you and broadly, I heard some very concerning things. And, I hope none of them are true, but I also know that there was a great level, a great deal of concern about his health from, from the parties uh, who actually know the details. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, they, they may not have shared all those details, but I know enough to know that there was great, there was great concern and has been great concern about him. Uh, doesn't mean this is going to end in, in some sort of unfortunate way. All I'm saying is, um, that part is true. So hopefully this is a turn in the opposite direction. Yes. I, I know this, I know this is very confusing. I'm sure for people listening out there, it's just a really, imp- it's just a really difficult thing to discuss because, you know, we, we just, we don't want to ever speculate about someone's medical condition. This is a wildly irresponsible thing to do. Right. But we can, we can say that there's concern about someone without getting into like, well, he's got this or he's got that happening and this is happening because that's irresponsible. But I do think it's, it's fair to say there has been great concern about 
his his status, yes. Well, yeah, I mean, and for those that don't know, there's layers to doing your job as a journalist and a reporter and not being reckless and confirming things, especially when it comes to somebody's health. So I, th- I think we get that. I appreciate right. the the you know open transparency there with that, Stephen, and mm-hmm. I, I think the listening audience does too. When you look at his, in a normal year for the Colts, they could hold a press conference at any point in time, but if we're zooming out and looking at where this thing trends and when we might hear from the Colts again, would that be the lead up to the combine? Is that the, the lead up to the draft? Like, what would be the next availability set up in your mind that was not, hey, there's a press conference going on at West 56th? Right. So I've asked that question. Um, and the answer I got was basically don't sit by the phone. <laughs> but um, I don't know if, if maybe there has been a change in his status, if there if there's a change in his status, then that could change that answer, right? The answer that I previously got. But I don't know. We, that's that's what we don't know. That's the hard part, and that's what we don't know. Um, so all we can do is speculate. I, I really don't know. Okay. But 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 yes, I I, I understand the question. Um, I think I would say this: the next time we have access, uh, on the record access to Colts officials would be the combine. Um, you know, and that would be Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard. Uh, beyond that, you know, that's up to the team if there's anything more than that. Okay, Stephen, let me let me throw something that somebody just sent to me. If it's dangerously speculative, uh, again, feel free to say that's dangerously speculative, Jake. Let's move on, okay? But I think it's a mm-hmm. really interesting point that somebody just texted me. Roger Goodell does his annual State of the NFL press conference at the Super Bowl tomorrow. That tweet gives him the cover if he is asked about Jim Irsay. So, actually, I, I, I'm pretty sure Goodell talked yesterday. I think he talked yesterday. Was it yesterday? Um, I, that, was, that was my understanding. I believe he talked yesterday. So, I did wonder, though, I did wonder if he would be asked and and I, I, I presume he was not asked. I did not hear um, I did not. It was yesterday. Any, you are sorry. correct. It was yeah. yesterday. My apologies. Yeah. No, no, it's fine. It's norm. It's not normally on Monday, though, of Super Bowl week. So, the the premise is not wrong. Uh, the premise of that point is or that comment is not wrong. Um, but this year they did it on a different day. It is typically around Wednesday. So that actually was an actual good assumption on that person's part. And the the league owners meeting is when. Uh, scheduled for uh, the last week of March in Orlando, so we got a little ways to go. And that would be, but that would be the first time that there would be like an obligatory thing where Jim Irsay typically in a yeah. season would be present or out front. Correct? Y- yeah, correct. Um, there was actually a, a. They have also periodic meetings. Now the annual quote unquote annual meeting, which we refer to as the owners' meetings, that is the spring meeting that we're discussing now. They also have periodic meetings all the time, like every few months. Uh, the last one, I believe, was in, um, in early December. Um, and we had heard some things about maybe how, how he was doing. And I actually had colleagues who were at those meetings look for Jim Mercer and did not see him um, on, on the basis of, of having heard that maybe something was wrong with him. Never saw him, so I think he's. I think he also missed that one, and we all we know now. Obviously, that coincided uh, with 
uh, the event that's already been reported, the uh, apparent, we think, um, overdose that happened at his home in, in early December. Stephen Holder's our guest from ESPN. Um, so, Stephen, I guess the next question before we move on from this subject, again, if you're just joining us, Jim Mercer's Twitter account tweeting that he is on the mend. Uh, I don't have it in front of me, but that's the, the core of what it said. Um, thank you for all the love and prayers, essentially, is what it said. Um, journalistically speaking, Stephen, this means that we progress in terms of the coverage or the storyline of Jim Mercer's health in what way, or does it? I I think if if, if they want to... This is not the priority, okay? The priority is him getting better, right? But, but if 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 the family and the team want to truly, um, you know, sort of, I don't want to say put it to rest, but but you know, sort of give people the the ability to kind of stand down and and exhale, I, I do think you have to kind of give a little specifics as to what's going on maybe answer some questions i i think you need to do more than that tweet is probably not quite enough it probably helps it's probably not enough though now again they can they can handle this however they wish it is totally reasonable to to handle this uh from the standpoint of well we want privacy um respect our privacy like all that that's totally fine all i'm saying is um it may or may not be enough to uh it may it may or may not be enough to you know to, to to call the dogs off i guess you know not to be flipping but i hope that makes sense Stephen holder our guest espn.com uh steven one of those subject matters that we're going to talk a lot about and, and listen it's probably broken record i realize do you envision any scenario where michael Pittman is not retained by indianapolis um, yeah, I mean, the scenario would be that it was just a, an absolute um, disaster of a negotiation and they just can't come to terms or something like that. But even then, even then, I presume they'd franchise him. So the odds of Michael Pittman not being here in 2024, my estimation, are pretty minimal, I think. Is there anything that they could have learned from the Jonathan Taylor saga, or is that more chalked up to Jonathan Taylor's representation? No, I don't think Jonathan's. I don't think Taylor's representation really uh, had anything to do with it. I mean, I think ultimately what these things really come down to is I've, I've said this a number of times, and it is hard to to remember sometimes because players sometimes take the backseat, and the agents, you know, end up, you know being willing to be the bad guy, but ultimately agents work for players They absolutely work for the player. And in that particular instance, Jonathan Taylor was absolutely uh, fully on board with everything that was said and done a hundred percent. You know, nothing happened without his understanding, his knowledge, his approval, et cetera. 100%. I know that because I talked to Jonathan Taylor throughout that process, whether people realize that or not, right? So, and I say source, I ain't screwing around. If I say source, trust me, the source is probably someone very, very close to the person, if not the person themselves. Anyway, now, as it relates to Michael Pittman, 
I think the same kind of applies here. Like Michael Pittman is very smart. He is very attuned to this stuff. Second generation NFL player. He gets the business. He knows everything. He understands the cap. Like this guy gets it. I don't know if he was a business major, but he understands this stuff. And he is very in tune with, with how this process is going to work. Um, so I, I, you know, I think whatever happens, it won't be about representation. It won't be about any of that. I, I think you're going to have, but I also think the other thing I'd say though, that I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, right? It's that might sound like a guy who's going to be a hard negotiator. Who's going to maybe put you through the ringer in terms of what he wants and, and how I would actually argue Michael Pittman is the type of player you might actually want to negotiate with or prefer to negotiate with. And here is why, because for him, it is somewhat emotional, certainly, right? Because you're talking about your money at the same time, he understands the business of it. So it's a little less emotional, Sometimes these things get very emotional for players, and I get it. I, uh, I absolutely get it. For Michael Pittman, he's very pragmatic. He understands, like, okay, they're going to do this, and this is why, and I get it, and it's fine. Like, he gets it. He understands it. And so he's not going into this thing expecting them to roll out a red carpet and it's going to be all flowers and dandelions. No, he, I mean, he, he gets it. He understands that, all right, this is going to be a situation where it's, you know, acrimonious and it is what it is. Right. And, and I actually think I prefer, I might prefer as an organization to deal with a player like that because it's business. Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, um, quick question, having nothing to do with this subject matter. Um, did you ever, did you ever get into Tracy Chapman's music? I wouldn't say get into, but familiar with it, respect it, and uh, for certainly, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, familiar with it, I would say, uh, to some degree. But Did you see the performance from the Grammys from Monday night? I saw or Sunday night, it Sunday afterward. Night. Not live, but did see, yeah, I've seen it since, yes. Um, I just thought it was a super cool moment, and, and I think mm-hmm. that Tracy Chapman is one of those performers that I don't know. I think people outside the realm of Tracy Chapman's like life and MO can learn a lot about the life and MO of other people by listening to or doing a deep dive on her music. And I think we don't do enough of that. And that's a totally random thought out of left field, but at the same time, <laughs> it allowed us to not have to talk about contracts with Michael Pittman for a few minutes. But does that make sense, though? No, it does. It does. Absolutely does. I... um I mean, I'm perfectly happy to talk about Michael Pittman, but I'm actually fine changing the subject too, if you want. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. I do get it though. I do get where you're where you're going with that. Um, so that song is the only one by her, you know, though, right? Or or give me give me one reason would be the no, other one, right? I'm not, I, can, I, it, I can't say like I should. I think it's one of those things. This is I don't know what this says about me, but it's she's one of those artists. Like if I hear the song, I probably know the song, but I don't right. know it. Does that make sense? Well, the thing I think's odd about her is she, and I mean this in a good way towards her, but Tracy Chapman to me was always fascinating because she was like this, like kind of next level, like in this this high aura of musicians, of mm-hmm. like not legendary status, but close to it. But yet I've never met anybody that's like a diehard fan of Tracy Chapman, right? And like mm-hmm. she, she hasn't toured yeah. in 15 years. But everybody, everyone endures. knows of her, though, yeah, right? She just endures, and she's just she's still there, just 
keeps keeps kicking. That's a, actually a very good point, right? Like, is is there a, a Tracy Chapman like fan club on Reddit? You know, is there is there a board? Like, what do they call that subreddit? Totally. I, she hasn't Tracy toured Jackson in fifteen subreddit? years, Probably right? <laughs> you know, um, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. And and also like, no one like doesn't like her, right? You know. Like, who doesn't like her? Even if you're not a fan, if you don't know her music, you're like, oh, yeah, she's cool, you know? <laughs> so, I, I mean, that probably says something about you. That means you cross you cross all kinds of boundaries. You cross social boundaries. You cross racial boundaries. You're crossing um, genre. Well, that moment did exactly boundaries. that, right? Because you got a guy that's a country singer that grew up in the country yep. realm and had a great respect for her, and then she comes out, and the two of them, and the song itself is about you know, somebody trying to overcome out of poverty and getting sucked back into the cycle. I just thought it was, you know what I mean? It was a pretty poignant moment. Um, Yeah. And I think, listen, I wish, I wish we had more of those sort of, you know, boundary breaking type situations in our, our society today. We might be better off for it, to be honest with you. Hey, Steven, I don't know where things stand with this. And so my apologies, because I'm probably going to, I probably should have looked this up. Um, but in terms of, you know, we now know, and and I don't know if it was you or one of your colleagues at ESPN that had the, the story about, uh, Isaiah Rogers in terms of yeah. his suspension. Outside the lines. What's that? It was outside the lines. Yeah. 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 Now was, and I apologize for asking this, was he officially released by the Colts or was he simply on suspension and therefore no release would have taken place yet? No, no, he he was released and actually is technically under contract with the Eagles who signed him. Now he was he's still suspended is why you haven't why that's not as clear. So you can be you can sign a contract, you can you can be cut, you can sign a contract all while you are suspended. And that's what happened with him. So the Colts released him after the suspension was handed down. Um, he he was then uh, at some point, not immediately, but later on, uh, sometime later, was was signed by the Eagles. Um, presumably, they haven't paid him a dime because he's he's suspended. So he's on paper a member of the Philadelphia Eagles, um, but he'll still have to go to training camp and make the team and all of those things. Um, so none of that is is a certainty, but he has a place to go come come August at least. Steven, you covered the Pro Bowl. For you, the game, I think we can all agree, not great. But the skills, the mini games, I enjoyed those a ton. Jake laughed at me. Are you an ally? Are you an enemy to me there? That they were they were fun for what they were. I, I enjoyed the skills games. Listen, I want to tell you something, man. Look, I get it. The whole thing is a complete, like, somewhat of a mockery. I get it. I, I, I get it, right? But first of all, this is completely harmless. Okay, it's such a harmless thing. I was in that stadium on Sunday. Well, there were skills Thursday night. That's not open to the public. They did have like some boys and girls clubs there and stuff. You know, and some of the the local local high school teams came and like they were into it. Like the players interacted with them, and it was kind of cool. Like I would, if I was those kids, I would have absolutely had the time of my life. And then I went to the stadium on Sunday for the actual game. First of all, there are fifty thousand people there, and I'm like why some of whom came from like long distance people paid money i was stunned at how packed that yeah. stadium was but whatever okay so that's the thing now now here's that's the reality now here's the thing 
they're doing the uh, the move to change thing, was it? Maybe like the the sort of obstacle course relay race thing they did, which I'm not gonna lie, it was kind of fun. It was like it was like two minutes long, and like you're kind of into it. It was it was actually fun, and the the stadium is roaring. I get it. It's the most ridiculous thing. I get it. I'm sitting there like, man. I've been doing this for 25 years, and this is what it led me to. But, uh, <laughs> but I was said to my colleague sitting next to me, I said, you know what? If I had kids that were, like, young and, like, were into the NFL, like, I would bring them to this. It was actually it'd be a good, fun afternoon. And that's what people did. They brought their kids. They had a good time. And it's, like, good, harmless fun. The players actually, like, were into it. At the end, you know, um, they don't want to lose, even if there's nothing on the line. And there was, I guess, $80,000 on the line apiece, which is not nothing. So I say this, look, it, it, it really doesn't, there's no downside to doing it, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, there's literally no downside to doing it. Um, at least guys are showing up now and they're not like making a joke out of the game by, by not even trying like they did with the tackle version. So, so anyway, I say, Let's just do it, and it's harmless, and there's no reason not to. Yeah, I can't tell if you're an ally or not, but at the very least, you didn't laugh, and I'm a child at heart. He's Stephen Holder, <laughs> covers the Colts for ESPN. You can follow him on Twitter, at Holder Stephen. Always appreciate catching up. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys. See you. Interesting stuff in, in regards to the Jim Irsay tweet, for sure. And I have a feeling that – here's one thing that drives me nuts, though. Like a local TV station that sends a, a, an article that says – Jim Mercey quote, and then it quotes his tweet, and you click on the story, and it's like, Jim Mercey's tweeted and said this. Yeah, I know. You could have just retweeted it, right? It's all about clicks, yep. I guess, right? That's the name of the game. All about strategy clicks. I just saw JMV walk in, so he's here today, not on remote, right? That is correct. All right. Well, we will uh, continue this conversation. Again, if you're just joining us, Jim Mercey tweeting or his account tweeting out earlier today on the mend, and thanks for all the love and support. Uh, on the men, grateful for all the messages of love and support is the exact wording of the tweet. 23 minutes before the top of the hour, JMV taking over for us, obviously, and carrying you home here on a Tuesday on Corey Covenant. Now, my understanding was, um, can you contour your neck around to look? Uh, the forecast was that it was supposed to be sunny by 3 o'clock. Do we know yet? Can you guys tell? I see a non-transparent window there that's not giving any hints to me for what's going on. So Maybe the sunshine is the fact that there is a uh, – that is good news. I mean, the Jim Irsay tweet, uh, again. I tried looking at weather cams yesterday. They wouldn't load, so it was about as useful as <laughs> it's trying to look out the window. Well, hold on. Now, do we have one here? Do we have a weather cam for the station for IBC? It would show us, right? Um, the reality is this. Either way, whether that tweet came from Jim Mercer himself or from, from representatives of the Colts on behalf of Jim Mercer, clearly if some of the things that had been said about Jim Mercer were accurate, you would think that they would not send that out. I will simply say it that way. Easiest way to say it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, and I... Hey, Jake, I can confirm the sun is out. Hell yeah, let's go. I feel like for a lot of people that are, and, and it, it's the line of what matters more, privacy versus being a public figure, and I go back and forth with that. Like I feel like you are, 
entitled to regardless every human being should have a right to privacy but i feel like if there's a a picture attached with that tweet maybe it makes you feel even better than you do with just the one ray of positivity here the reality is this jim mercy is a beloved figure he's the owner of the most popular entity within the state and the one that probably unifies people in this city more than anything else he is publicly subsidized and one could make the argument that that public subsidy necessitates for the general public to know of his status or his well-being that is certainly up for debate and there are multiple ways in which you can look at that um but also i understand why people probably listening are like well if you guys had heard this or heard that why are you not reporting it there are multiple reasons for that. HIPAA changes a lot of things in terms of one's privacy. And in addition to that, the reality is this. And maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I, I do think it's true. When it when it comes to if and this is not the case, and I certainly hope it's not going to be the case anytime imminently or anytime soon. But just so people know, when it comes to like really, really bad or sad news about major entities within the city. Jim Mercer, whatever you want to say. Locally speaking, no one is trying to be the one to break that story. No one is. We don't want to give that information. We don't want to share bad news. We want to be about good news. We don't want to be about bad news. And, and, and people don't want to hear bad news. So it's not necessarily in our best interest to share it. Now, obviously, in this situation, you have to have confirmation. You have to have, you know, it's like a billion things, right? I mean, it's gotten... The Ursay situation in this town has gotten to Ferris Bueller level, right? Yeah. You know, people, my, my best friend's next door neighbor's girlfriend last night saw him at 31 Flavors. I mean, it, it's gotten to that right. level. And people lose sight of national entities, like, for example, TMZ, throw them out there, who had the story of, of his overdose. And they were able to gather those, and they're, you know, they have monetary means, and TMZ is known for paying for things. But they can afford to be wrong because they have credibility because of every story they've broken and they're, they're a national outlet. Local journalism matters so much to the heartbeat of communities that if you don't vet everything, especially when it comes to life or death, your credibility's gone. It's over. Oh, weren't you the guy that was wrong about the Colts owner? Like You want that attached to right. But okay. nobody does. Here's the thing. I'd like for this person to call in. It would be nice if the media would at least report honest news. I, I call in right now two three nine ten seventy or are we I've got the number right here in the text we should call them and, and what have we reported that's dishonest honestly what, what what did what have we said in any of this that's dishonest I, I would welcome you to call in on that yeah. I, I mean you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't is the hard part right, right. yes in today's society that's it because everybody has an agenda and there's an ongoing war against the media and against truth. And again, you get lost in it to good reporters, to good media members. Facts still matter. And you can't just well, go into the also, ether with. You also have to get into, you know, in this situation, you got to be very, very, you know, you're still talking about a human being with correct, a family here. I correct. mean, you know, you got to be, nobody's get. We're not going to go on the air and talk about innuendo. You're not breaking a rumor. trade. You're not breaking a trade that right. happened. That like, oh man, I got this scoop. No, you're talking about life and death. Correct. And, you know, in just the whole journey itself. I mean, when you're talking about 
no matter who it is, it just becomes a challenge because of the laws, understandably and rightly so, that are in place to protect one's privacy. Right. I mean, it absolutely, you know what I mean? Generally There's, speaking, regardless of who it is, you, you have to be careful. And I, I get people's frustration because it's a public figure, but at the same time, it's, everything's delicate. Everything's now, delicate. We'll switch gears here and lighten the mood for the sunshine outside with my man, Steve. Steve and Brenda. And the, Steve, here's the thing. I know I can tell you right now what got your Kansas City Chiefs and Jimmy's Kansas City Chiefs to the Super Bowl. I know what the secret ingredient is. You ready? What's there, buddy? <laughs> you, Steve. You, Steve, are the proud father and owner of the world's greatest, well, I mean, not named Joey and Kobe, the world's greatest rescue dog, Milton, right? Correct. I'd like to think that I'm kind of an honorary godfather of Milton, if you will, okay? (laughs) Milton, as you know, Milton was a, a dog that was out trying to get adopted and you found out that Milton actually had been in public to be adopted prior to when you met Milton and that Milton kind of acted up a little bit because Milton knew that you guys were coming the next day and therefore he was waiting his turn to go to your home, correct? That's correct. Absolutely and Mil- correct. Milton is the greatest dog ever. And at the beginning of the football season, I think it was, Shannon and I were at Metazoa one night having a beer, which is an animal, you know, very pet-friendly place, and they were selling little, like, handkerchiefs and scarves for dogs, and they had a Kansas City Chiefs one. And I said to Shannon, I got to buy this for Milton, because Milton's dad, Steve, is a diehard Chiefs fan, Kansas City Steve. So Milton has proudly been wearing his finest Kansas City Chiefs suit during the playoffs, and Steve, that's what sent him over the top, right? Uh, yeah, that sounds fair enough, sir. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now, are you going to the Super Bowl? No, I wish I would. I love Vegas, but no. Yeah, you guys were just in Vegas, right? Yes. Okay, so, Steve, give me your thoughts. Give me your prediction. Give me your thoughts on the Super Bowl, and are you worried about the San Francisco? Matter of fact, the last time these two teams played in in the Super Bowl, I watched it at your place. That was high scoring up there. Are you worried? Uh, Chiefs 35, 49ers 21. Oh, man, that's a score I like, Steve. That, that's there a comfortable a score right there. And a forced fumble. All right. I like that. Now, Steve, let me ask you this. If the football gods come to you and they say, Steve, here's the deal. We're going we're gonna to let the Chiefs win this game, but... Taylor Swift gets to raise the Lombardi Trophy on the podium post game. Are you cool with that? I'm totally fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you wearing Chiefs gear right now, Steve? Well, I'm going to work, so I got my work stuff on. Not to mail, but I do have Kansas City Kansas City Chiefs underwear on. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. Well, Steve, I'll tell you what. We want you to call in on Monday after the Super Bowl. Steve is the best, man. He's awesome. Steve and Brenda are the best. I didn't realize. I had forgotten that you'd made that purchase. I'd, I'd lost that story to the sands of time. It's pretty cool. Very nice of you. What's that? I thought you were just petitioning to be a, a, a godfather to Milton. I didn't realize there was an actual acquisition oh, that no, was made. Oh, no, man. Milton's my in man. In support of Milton. That's awesome.
Milton is my man. Jimmy, are you going to be here Monday? I'll be here Monday. Okay. I'll be here Monday. Got to be here the day after the Super Bowl. No matter if it's a defeat or a loss? Regardless of the result, I will be here. Okay. You don't need to do a health wellness check on me, even though I think you will regardless. I'm sure I'll get a text from you in about... Now, where, where do you night. watch the game? Uh, shout out to my brother, Bob Cook. We go to his house, uh, south side of Indy. And it was chili and Chiefs is what it was originally when he first started watching games. It's evolved now where it's not just chili every time, but that's just the name of the outing every Sunday. We go there, he had Sunday ticket, and the rest is history. Ditches so, the wife? I do leave Haley. That's correct. Haley's been before... Not Haley's type of cup of tea. She's fine with the Chiefs ring. There you go. You know the. It's been a long time since I've been like uber passionate about a sports team to that level. I mean, Clemson would be one, and I've I've told the story many times on why it that is the case for me with Clemson. But um, with with teams that I'm uber passionate about in big games like that, I don't like watching it in in public. I don't mean like like the, I don't want to embarrass. I just like I, I like. I need allies. It's either private or allies. Like if I didn't have my family, I wouldn't go to a bar to watch that game. I would stay at home. Right. That's what I mean. Like I, I watching it at, at live is one thing, right? Except for that, like if your team's trail, it's it's really tough. But if right? you're with somebody, there's always that one person that tries to analyze what's happening. It's like, dude, you. I've watched every game this season. Correct. That's I understand what I mean. what's happening here. You speculating, oh, it looked like a weird throw there. No, it was a designed, like, that stuff irks me to know it. That, that's why I just, like, I don't know. Like, I, I, some of Clemson's national title runs, like some of those games against Ohio State, whatever else. I, there was one, when they beat Ohio State, and the years all run together to me, but, uh, and, you know, let's face it, they beat him in six bowl games, so it got hard to tell after a while. Uh, but the second to last one there, I remember they were down at the half. They were playing terrible. And so I told Shannon, I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I've watched like three games in 10 years in, in on this couch, and they've lost all three. So I, I'm I'm going home. That's awesome. And I went home. And they came back, and they got an interception of Justin Fields, and, and they went on. You know what I mean? Now – it did I've not never go that more, way when they had to go up against C.J. Stroud. I realize this might... I don't want you to think this is me saying less of you because it's not. I've never been more glad to know you than with that story. That is oh. phenomenal that you would you would dabble into the voodoo of superstition totally. and be no, like... Totally. Now, what's weird is when I went to the national title game against Alabama where Hunter Renfro caught the, the game-winning touchdown, Like I was probably because I was in the element, it was just different. I wasn't as like Nervous Nelly. I mean, Shannon one time videotaped me. They were playing, I think it was North Carolina State, and they were struggling, and they were down late, and they turned it over late, and she videotaped me because I took my hat off and threw it. And she's like, you're, you're, a, you're a moron. <laughs> and then I was like, look, I, you know, I, for 20 years, the Pacers lose a game, and it ruined your entire week. I mean, it's all, you know, turnabout's fair play, right? It's all fair. I toss my hat about every other drive. <laughs> my favorite thing to do. Uh, do you have picks for us on the other I side? I do. I got a couple picks All right, for we'll you. do it next. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, a mix of college hoops and the NBA. Lay the five and a half on the Ohio State Buckeyes. They welcome in the Indiana Hoosiers tonight in Columbus. Scoop the 15. Butler, 15-point dogs on the road against UConn. I think they'll cover that number. Last one for you. Tyrese Halliburton, this is the lowest it's been in quite some time. Points plus assists. Over 20 and a half. He hits that number tonight. Looks like some more minutes will head his way. Eddie, do you have anything? Nothing from Eddie. Those are your plays of the day. Okay, here's your over-under. 
hours of sleep that I will get tonight knowing that I have to give blood in the morning? Two and a half is the over-under. It's probably pretty close. How much blood do you give? Like a quarter? I don't look. Quarter so tank? I, 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 here's the thing. I've got to give from Mottman for my cardiology right. you know, annual, but I have a physical in like three weeks, and I'm like, can you guys match wits so that I don't have to do this once? Yeah. So I think it's a couple of tubes worth. I don't know. Remember back in high school, John, people would be like, dude, if you give blood for the senior blood drive and then go to concert that night, you can get wasted on one oh, beer. Oh, hell yeah, man. <laughs> exactly. Well, and you're trying to get money. Like on the weekend in Terre Haute, going to get blood to get some beer money. I got a, I got a buddy that was a, he gave every body fluid there is possible, <laughs> you know, right? Hey, I would do anything, man. I'd give Plasma? It, I'd, give it, I'd force things. it out. I'd do all that stuff, yes. Um John, I will, as to not steal the thunder for you, because I'm sure you will probably mention it, but obviously you saw the Jim Mercer tweet. Yeah. We'll wait yes. till you go on if you want to give your reaction. Then, no, no. I mean, listen, anything, anything positive is good news because you go since early January, what, like January the 8th, without a word from somebody that's so active in social media that had everybody rightly concerned around here. So, again, that was a good sign. Now, I guess there's no way to know when we would see or hear from him again, right? Yeah. Based I mean, on that, I mean. Yeah. I mean, just, I, that's like, you get concerned because you don't hear anything, right? Nothing. And you don't hear denial. That and, was to yeah, me the thing that right. was concerning was when we were going and saying, here's what I'm hearing. There was no, no, that's But not, you, you get, know. you get that. And, you know, now that regardless is on. As I guess, if you want to call it record, but uh, no, that was that was good to see because I think we were all and still there's concern there until you see, of course, right. But I think everybody was incredibly concerned, and you just you know you get the rumor mill that just grinds out and grinds out, and you know people say, oh, you know, you got to find this out, find that out, and you know you finally get that word. That's good. Uh, John's up next. What do you got up next, John? We've got uh, Rakestraw. We've got Spielberger. I think Trace is Trace coming on today. I think Trace is Trace Jackson Davis, Golden State. They come to town on Thursday. We'll see what the former Center Grove High School standout is doing and not playing on a Tuesday night at Center Grove like the rest of us. That's right. So, yeah. All right. John's up next. Right, we will be back with you tomorrow at noon. Thanks for listening to Query and Company on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.